Hi, Crime Curious listeners. Megan and I are off this week for the Thanksgiving break, but we didn't want you to go without content to listen to. So we are re-releasing a bonus episode that was previously only released for our Patreon members. So when while you listen to this, just keep in mind that this is just one of the many perks if you were to join our Patreon page and help support us and keep us on the air. Depending on which level you join at, you can access one, two, or five bonus episodes per month on top of the regular episodes that we release each week as well. We hope that you had a fabulous Thanksgiving weekend for those who celebrate it, and we will see you next week for a regular episode. Take care. Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. I'm Megan. And how are y'all today, Patreons? Shake, shake. We're shaking the gree gree. I have All the right. bones. We have the good juju. I have the sack. Yep. I have some gifts. You do. You since came bearing since gifts. Since we're Patreoning. So I feel terrible. <laughs> we're Patreoning. We're Patreoning. I, I made it a that. verb. <laughs> yep. Love it. I can make anything into a verb. Um, when I was down in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and this is how bad I have been about literally just remembering remembering to grab this, Tasha made some goodies. So, and oh I God. have mine, but these are the gifts that she made you. Oh my gosh! She literally makes these. You got to open them and look through them. Oh my goodness! She makes she these? makes them. Yeah. Oh, Tasha, so you are so talented. I'm showing her like koozies. <gasps> they're like the little wine koozie things. Oh, and then and they're beautiful. Yeah. And so those birds. are like pretty uh, ducks and birds. Are yours birds? Birds. No, are I have some. I have some birds, but she made me uh, magnolias. Did she know? Do, do yes. I talk about how? Much yeah, she I did love them on. Birds? She did them on purpose because oh. she thought. You know, she knew what she liked, we liked, and she's right. She is right. How thoughtful. But then there's cute little, like, um, oven mitts. Oh, Those are the snap it. ones that go on your uh, can. So they're technically a can koozie, but they snap like an old-fashioned slap bracelet. I've never seen... That's amazing. Yeah. I've never seen that. Tasha, thank you so much. She does a great <gasps> job. Oh, she does. Oh, these are too pretty to use. I am I will admit, I don't think I've used mine. They're sitting out on my counter. No, it's but a they're decoration. just there. And every time yeah. somebody goes to get a pizza out of the oven, I'm like, use the old one. Right. Do not use that pretty please, one. Please don't use my pretty one. <gasps> thank you. Oh, that's yeah. a beautiful And pumpkin. this is to add to your collection because I totally forgot to give it to you when I got back, but I did go um voodoo shopping for you oh it's the perfect time of year to be giving it really is so it makes sense now that i waited until october and it's like my birthday gift because you know i have have a little something for you for that too oh crime curious gifting it is oh my gosh she's fabulous isn't she cute you guys megan gave me a juju guardian (laughs) These guardians aren't your typical security guards. Place them anywhere you need protection from negativity and evil. They'll take care of the rest. 
So where? above your computer for work. Absolutely. <laughs> I was going to say, where was this when I was married to my ex-husband? <laughs> right. <laughs> it was in New Orleans. <laughs> it was. Oh, but I brought her back fabulous. for you. So you'll have I'm, to post a picture. I'm going to because this doll is amazing. Yeah, she's making an incredibly nice O-face. She too. sure is. So I'm loving the energy that's coming off from her, Sucking the spirits too. in, I basically. can see why you were drawn in I for was. me. I mm-hmm. was. Oh, and I wanted to thank um, our listeners, especially uh, Michelle, for her lovely card um and mm. it's still nice that people are giving me uh well wishes here from yes. my accident and i'm fantastic i'm doing great yes and but also we do need to do a special shout out for michelle as well because she sent us the, the books the i am abigail and i am jessica books and we are have split them up and are both reading and um i would anticipate something really cool will happen in the near future absolutely just so you know. yes but we could that was not possible without michelle because when i went to buy the books they were sold out Right, me too, on Amazon. Yep, so thank you so very much, Michelle. You're always thinking of us and taking care of us. And Tasha, you too. I just, I can't express, like nobody else has thoughtful listeners like we do. I just really just don't think that they do. Not with the genuine connection that we have with our people. Like I feel genuinely connected i do too they're our friends how many people have how many of you guys have posted already the thing where like your husband walks in he goes are you talking to your friends and they're like yes and he goes no your real friends not your podcast friends (laughs) they are my real friends they are they are my real friends we have a legit connection so thank you all so much uh also kangaroo sack jason the gift that you sent is not in yet, so that's why we aren't featuring it just yet. But it, I asked it about so it because I'm did. excited. Megan's very excited for that. Oh. I, that's that's live episode worthy. It is. Might be a flip the camera on kind of thing. Yep, so. yep I think so. Well, Patreons, I, I have a gift for you. So it is spooky time for October, and there's a lot going on in this case that I'm going to present to you. Um, and I'm also going to let you know right off the bat, this is a long one, so mm-hmm. you're welcome. You guys deserve yeah. these long ones. You if you do. have to pause me and go to the bathroom, I understand, or take your phone with you like I do. That's right. And, so. you know, if people are ever like, is it worth being a Patreon? Yes, because they save long episodes for their bonus episodes. We really do. I want to talk to you about a haunted hotel. I would love to hear about it. And I don't know if the term haunted is right, but this hotel has so much bad juju, it's not. It, it's hard to imagine. I'm talking about the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it before? I have, but I've heard of it not in super detailed coverage. You know what I mean? It's always like either we're just talking about um, Miss, is it Lan? Is that her last name? Miss Lamb. Lan? Lamb. Yep. Um, Elisa. Elisa. Yeah. It's either like they're just covering that aspect or they're just covering the spooky. Like it I don't really see a lot of coverage of it really around together. Elisa's story and mm-hmm. that's how it's going to feel. But I think I'll have some good information for you as well. You always do, my love. All right. So the Cecil Hotel, please Google it. It is beautiful. Sure is. So mm-hmm. it's beautiful, but it's also deadly. It is rumored to be full of dark energy with a history of missing people, suicides, and overdoses. They need a juju guardian. They do. Lots of them. A mm-hmm. large one. Possibly three stories. A home it is to drug dealers, rapists, murderers, and a place where serial killers come to relax. My God. I mean, I guess everybody's got to have a home away from home. And this was. So to start off with the beauty part, it was designed by Lois Smith in the Bose Arts. So think Baroque elements with modern materials like iron and glass, Mm. similar to 19th century French architecture. Mm. In 1924, it did cost about $1.5 million to complete. So think of that, right? In 1924? Yeah. Yeah. 
And it has this elaborate lobby then at this point in time with this beautiful stained glass and potted palm trees and statues of alabaster. So the hoteliers, Hanner, Dix, and Shops, invested total about $2.5 million in their hotel enterprise and were encouraged building this beauty in downtown L.A. because other similar hotels had been established and were doing well. That is until, of course, the Great Depression hit. Uh, it had been fashionable and flourished, but unfortunately subsequently declined in more ways than one. Sure. All right. I'm going to take you to 2013. We're going to go back and forth here. Okay. <clears throat> Elisa Lamb, a 21-year-old college student from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, completely disappeared while on vacation in Los Angeles after staying at the Cecil. She was last seen in an elevator acting strangely. Mm-hmm. So much speculation from this strange event brought about old history, supernatural considerations, or at the very least, synchronicities. There was a potential for corruption and cover-up, conspiracies potentially involving the LAPD itself, or a collaborative cover-up potentially with the hotel and its employees. So the question was, also, if we want to think paranormally, was the Cecil itself luring in victims and compromised minds? Most of the information that I'm going to give is from the Netflix documentary, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. It is a four-part miniseries that covers Elisa Lamb's disappearance extensively. And I'm also going to give credit to our Patreon, Liz, for mentioning it to me when I saw her on Thursday um, when I was getting my hair done. She mentioned that she was going to watch this, and I fell into it yesterday and watched it for hours. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, But there are also some other sources which gave me incredibly good information that I'll I'll read to you at the end. So Elisa Lamb uh, is a university student at this point. Uh, She's contemplating what she wants out of life. She's just this typical college girl who wants to know what the future holds for her. And she ends up writing online in blog form that she wants to get away. She is very active at this point in time on Tumblr. So Tumblr kind of started around the area era. This is in, like I indicated, 2013. And she's just making all kinds of notes and wanting to live her life. Okay. She decides to save money and is hopeful uh, that her parents will let her travel. Um, She is of Asian descent, uh, again, 21, and a student at this point in time. She also lands at this point on California. So she's doing some searches. She looks at travel destinations, and she thinks California is going to be the place for her. So she plans a trip down the West Coast to tour and even starts asking people online for recommendations on her trip. Oh, she stopped at places along the way. But when unfortunately she arrived in L.A., that's where her trip ends. So she's from Vancouver. She goes to San Diego first and then travels up to L.A. January 31st, 2013 was the last day that anyone heard from her. She did not have at that point in time reportedly any history of previously bizarre behaviors. A detective, Tim Marsha, was assigned to a missing persons case. It was Elisa's. 18 officers responded. He immediately discovered that Elisa would typically check in with her family daily, which was why she was missed so quickly. She also was, a, again, a prolific blogger. She was on and posting quite often. Okay. So law enforcement looked at possibilities. Was she disoriented and lost? You know, small town Vancouver girl in Los Angeles. Did she not want to be found, you know, to entertain Mm -hmm. that wanderlust and freedom that she had sometimes uh, spoken about on Tumblr? Or was something nefarious occurring? Was she the victim of an accident or even a crime? 
She was last known to have been at the hotel where she had been staying, and unfortunately, as was this one with a notorious past. So the Cecil in downtown LA housed mostly guests at this point in time from foreign countries at very low rates, advertising $85 a night rates. Oh, okay. So this is a drawing for people coming to very expensive la-la land from other countries. And she is in Canada. That is another country, obviously. And so she's being targeted in advertisements for this is a low rate here. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. So detectives arrived to investigate. Amy Price is a woman uh, who was the general manager at the hotel at this point for kind of a period of 10 years, including the date Elisa disappeared. She did make some statements um, and was interviewed extensively stating, you never knew what was going to happen at the Cecil. Oh, I bet. When Elisa went missing, um, Miss Price, the GM, says she and her staff cooperated fully. She indicates that Elisa checked in on January 28th of 2013, and the plan was that she would be there for four days. She was originally assigned to room 506. This was a community female bunk room, and they shared a community bathroom. Oh, so they I didn't had know this that. set okay. up really specifically and cheaply. Some of these rooms uh, meant to be again shared by uh, travelers coming alone, hostel size, say, like, a hostel. like a hostel. Yes, okay. and then again, the bathrooms were um, uh, locked in a hallway. There's you know one for men, one for women, mm-hmm. and you would go into the bathroom and unlock. Her room was searched by police officers, but when they arrived in the room that she was staying in at that point, which I will get to. The staff had already removed all of her personal belongings. Now, the GM, Price, said it was policy to remove items when people didn't check out. So, you know, you were supposed to check out at 11, and if you didn't check out at 11, when they went to clean, they would, the policy would be bag all of your stuff up and, and store it. Okay. The policy was that when people didn't check out, they store it for 30 days. Oh, wow. So, yep. And ho- hopefully what the people would, would come back if they wanted to. Yep. Well, apparently this happens here often. And she even indicated you wouldn't believe the kind of things that people would leave behind. Now, what happened when they found uh, in the storage room Elisa's belongings was that she left behind some things that caused concern. She left everything. Her laptop, her clothing, her wallet, and her prescriptions. Oh, wow. The employees had said that her room was messy, but there was no sign of foul play that they were able to observe. And you're going to hear pretty soon, these employees are used to seeing signs of foul play. So they would have noticed if there was blood or some type of, uh, uh, you know, things that were broken from an assault that may have occurred. Yikes. There was no forced entry that was noticed. There was no evidence of drug use or paraphernalia contained within the room. But the detective really felt, Mr. Marsha, that things were not going to end well. It's the gut feeling. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you. Always follow that intuition. You, you should. You mm-hmm. do. And we all have it and we yep. all get it. Yep. Mike, and f- specifically follow that intuition when you're walking around someplace new. Yes, definitely. Mike and Sabina Boff were from Plymouth, uh, uh, United Kingdom, so over from England. And they had decided to plan a dream trip to the U.S. It was their first time. And they also settled on California. Uh, They found this California trip and found that as advertised, again, to individuals from other countries, um, there was this relatively inexpensive package to L.A. that had a listing for a cheap downtown hotel. So they did it. And on their first trip to America, they're dropped off at a hotel that appears quite nice, even though the area at that point in time was a little bit concerning to them. 
Okay. But they found this beautiful hotel with this lobby that's just impressive old California grand with big pillars and elaborate architecture. And they check in. When they get to their room and they get, well, first they get their room key and they get to their room, they have to use the elevator. And the elevator looks dated and maybe even a little sketch. Okay. And then they get up to the room or up to the hallway and they're like, this is kind of, it just gives you a feeling too. And they get in the rooms and this is nothing that you would expect of a room with that grand of a hotel and an exterior. It is dirty and dusty and certainly not updated, nor does it match what the lobby uh, advertises. They even describe the carpet as sticky almost, like oh, that no. feeling of peeling your feet from mm-hmm. the floor. You know what How do you feel about that, Charnel? Nope. You know what our friend says, if it's sticky and not yours, don't, don't touch, touch it. it. Yeah, and, and, they, and they did. I think it was one of those situations, though, where they realized they had paid almost nothing, next mm-hmm. to nothing, to, for this hotel. And they weren't complainers. For. And basically, it's like, well, I guess we're going to leave our shoes on, our yeah. shoes on in here. Right. Um, they sucked it up because they knew, really, they're just going to be here to sleep. Okay. They intended to be out most of the time. Okay. So they're tired and jet lagged and they go off um, looking for food. They end up getting lost. And as they're asking people for directions and they mention that they're staying at the Cecil, they got some weird looks and strange responses like, you're staying at the Cecil? Oh. Then they also find out, to make matters worse, that a girl had gone missing just prior to their arrival. They realize at this point in time that uh, they might not be safe. In this area, maybe where they we're are. not staying at the Cecil. They didn't feel safe, nor were they. Well, at this point, you know, you're from a foreign country. You have booked this package. You're probably not the wealthiest person in the world because you've saved up for this trip. It's not so easy just to say, "I'm not staying oh. here" and leave. Right. You don't want to ruin right. your vacation. Nor could you potentially afford to go stay at the, you know, the Beverly Wilshire downtown. Of course, you know, right. uh, over in Beverly Hills, it's just not going to happen. Well, witnesses at the hotel, of course, were interviewed by law enforcement when Ms. Lamb came up missing. They wanted to know all of the guests and, and employees and the GM. I'm going to refer to the general manager as the GM yeah. throughout this quite a bit If for those of you in the hotel industry. She gave the guest list and a list of about 50 employees total. So Santiago Lopez is the maintenance man. I like Santiago. He's interviewed extensively and he just has kind eyes. Mm-hmm. right he just seems like this really nice guy like the kind of person at a hotel that if I was having problems he'd be the one that I would go over and talk to okay mm-hmm. he has a good energy sure now yep speaking my language girl. I know he told police that he had never seen Elisa Lamb but that a receptionist that he talks to um had told him that she had seen her and she described Miss Lamb um, after she came up missing to Santiago as um looking like she was a young college student mm-hmm. and she was and she was yeah The night shift said that they had seen her at some point in an area for employees only and that she was asked to leave. This is the only information given on that at this point. But we don't, again, we don't have any information as to what the area was or who saw her. Just, oh, yep, we remember her. She had wandered into an employees only area and we told her she needed to leave. Then she's seen going to the elevator bank and that's the last time anyone sees her is as she's headed to the elevator bank. Josh Dean is a journalist. He picks up this case because he wanted to try and be helpful and put together this puzzle that became the vanishing of Elisa Lamb. She was one of two daughters of an immigrant family from Hong Kong that had immigrated to British Columbia 
and they were running a family restaurant. So Elisa loved posting on Tumblr like a diary, and police were able to use her posts like she was leaving them digital breadcrumbs so they could learn about her. And it did appear that she had some kind of an itinerary when she was in L.A. So she arrives and checks in, and she had made posts that she was open to meeting people and hanging out with people that she would meet. Wow. I, I wish I could be more like that. I am. I'm actually the opposite. I am open to exploring without people bothering me. You know, <laughs> I am too. And if I accidentally make friends with yeah. somebody sitting at the uh, lobby bar or wherever, that happens often because I'm pretty talkative. For sure. But to just put it out there. Right. Like this is my goal. This is this my is what goal. I'm, I'm going to meet yeah. people. Yes. That's never my intention. I just end up drawing them in. Exactly. It happens. <laughs> people are drawn to us like we are a light and they're a moth. So she um, finds this bookstore. Um, I'm sorry, the police find this bookstore that Elisa had visited on the day she went missing, and management remembered her. She spoke about what books she would be able to carry in her travels and actually expressed to them some concern about getting any purchases back to her hotel. Sure. The staff did describe her as outgoing, lively, and friendly when she was carrying on her conversations at the bookstore. Then she went back to the Cecil and vanished. So the last place that she had gone outside of the Cecil Hotel was this bookstore. bookstore. After she had been missing for five days, law enforcement felt the Cecil had something to do with her disappearance because they could not find any evidence that she had ever left the hotel again. So there's no other documented purchases made. She's not seen anywhere outside of the hotel. Um, They just feel like she never left again. The Cecil and its story... Well, it's a history unto itself. In 1919, L.A. was a boomtown. Everyone was coming there. This is the new place to come and establish roots and put down a life. It's for, known for its greatness and grandeur. Specifically, the Cecil opened in 1924, so roughly five years after that big L.A. boom at that cost, again, of just over a million dollars. It's obviously known to be a beautiful and opulent hotel, But even then, it was established as a traveler's hotel. It was near a train station, and it was intended to be lower budget on the rooms even at that point. Oh, okay. So the rooms didn't change much over the years, specifically in terms of size. There was never any opulence to the rooms that people were staying in. All of it was contained almost to be like misleading in this as this beautiful exterior and right inside in the lobby. But it didn't extend beyond that, the beauty. Okay. The goal then was that they would keep the price low for any travelers getting off the train, coming to visit either on business or to settle, and again, so that they would stay in that downtown area and bring business. Well, when the stock market crashes and unemployment sweeps the nation, it is exceptionally hard on downtown L.A. In the early 1930s, the Cecil became a hotel where mostly older men would want to stay, and only briefly and cheaply. So there's some nefarious activities that are beginning even then. We're just outside of the roaring 20s and into the 30s, and we know what kind of business men staying alone, older gentlemen staying alone in a hotel in the downtown area might engage in. Mm -hmm. Even in the 1980s, from a man who was interviewed who um, spent a lot of time in that area at that point said you could spend 30 bucks a night, grab some liquor from across the street and a sex worker and get it on. Okay. It was yeah. known for drugs, That's... robbery and prostitutes. Okay. It was a scandalous hotel. Yeah. Specifically then in the 80s. 
So the GM refers... Hence why they're not going to put a bunch of money into updating the rooms. They are not. Yeah. They are not. And, and for other reasons as well. So the GM refers to this hotel as the Titanic of hotels. It was built with beautiful bones, but with the right outside events, it was sinkable and it, ha- it was sinking. Okay. Huh. All right. Back to Elisa. Law enforcement then, they know she's in danger. Her parents fly to L.A. uh, with her sister and they um, have a press conference where the LAPD pleads with the public for information. Now, her family doesn't say anything, but they stand behind the police on camera. I've watched this. Her mom, her dad, and her sister are watching very solemnly in the background of a law enforcement podium. There is a lieutenant, Walter Teague, who appears and he implores the public after six days of her missing and with no communication for any information the public may have. He goes on to describe, because we know quite a bit about her at this point in terms of her um, how her upbringing and her family that loves her, very culturally um, uh, Chinese. And she. they also describe her at this point as being five foot four and 115 pounds. And she is beautiful. Mm-hmm. To pull up pictures of her, she is just lovely. Elisa had written on her um, Tumblr that she was excited to see new places and meet kind strangers. I don't like it. Don't ever post something publicly that you want to meet kind strangers. But I think there's this naivety to her. Absolutely. She's raised in a conservative um, Asian family culturally. They run a family business. She's mostly been inside that in terms of her life experience. And she even goes to college close to home. Yep. And now she wants to get out and live a little. Yeah. It just puts you in a vulnerable position. And she really thought using the word kind would be a good filter. Right. Like, oh, I'm not a kind stranger, so I won't go try to meet this girl. You know what else she (laughs) says, though, that I find interesting that she puts out there publicly? Because it reminds me of you and me. She said sometimes she takes things too far and that she has no filter. And she even said in one post that her mouth would be her downfall and she knew it would get her into trouble. Oh, yep. There we are. We've said this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So our UK, I like, I love her self-awareness too, oh, by the me way. Me too. And, and that's why people, you're going to find people fall in love with her, mm-hmm. her character and who she is as a person. So our visitors from the UK, Mike and Sabina Boff, who are visiting around the same time, just a little bit after she comes up missing, they decide they want to spend the day sightseeing and then realize as they're walking around that the environment of the downtown where they're staying is the opposite of their expectations. Around the hotel were rows of homeless people. They were sleeping everywhere. The streets are filled with, tra- like literally in rows. Mm-hmm. The streets are filled with trash and they're screaming going on. And they find out that the area where the Cecil Hotel was, was the area known as Skid Row in downtown mm. LA. That is the location of the Cecil, so you all now know. Okay. We are talking Skid Row. Yep. Upon seeing the quite pretty exterior, visitors at the Cecil may not realize that they are at ground zero of one of the most violent and dangerous places in the entire United States. Skid Row is a 56-block area, the poorest in L.A., with over 10,000 homeless people living on the street. So the only place to go for assistance for homeless in L.A. is Skid Row. Okay. It is a dumping ground for people released from jail, prisons and mental facilities and when i say dumping ground i mean people are literally brought there dumped there left there um some speculate from law enforcement themselves and other places uh, who release individuals from these places mental institutions and such to keep them away from the rest of la that's truly awful it's like a human garbage like like they're treating it like we treat our garbage the policy here's the you know what what are those things called why i'm i am a dumpster well 
the facilities that we take our um the trash facilities. Oh, yeah, the know. dump. Yeah, the I, pr- yeah, yeah, it is. Um it'll come I'm sorry, my That's brain okay. is That's okay. I I can't pick up on it either and usually we're in sync. Skid Row does sound exactly like how as humans we're like, "Oh, here's a place that we need to, you know, put put our garbage like it's like we're treating these people these humans you've like they're human garbage you have hit the nail on the head because what the terminology used is that it was an unofficial it was containment policy is what they what they call these yeah so let's keep everything bad in the city in one place and i am not going to like shots fired here at the lapd but they would basically come in and keep people unofficially within those borders you can literally see uh, law enforcement in their patrol cars at the edge of these blocks okay. almost as if they've created a barrier to keep them in and I'm trying not yeah. to be judgmental because that is one opinion but I saw it right I've right. seen it exactly uh and just you know for us as as public service workers this is hard for us to stomach you know it with, is with the empathy we have for humans and uh, like I understand a lot of, you know, I understand both sides, but there's just, this is one social issue that we just don't have the right answer for truly besides, so, I don't know, maybe we could make more. So no, knowing that uh, we're, we're feeling some Elisa energy right now. We are. Okay. We are. She was out by, if she was out by herself at night, she could have been abducted. Mm-hmm. So they looked for any persons of interest in her travels. Had she met someone at the hotel? So there was some security footage in the lobbies, at the front of the building, and in the elevator. But they also found that not all of the floors had video cameras. And in fact, I believe she was staying on the fifth floor. There was not a camera on her floor. To make this worse, the quality of the cameras that they did have was very poor. And trying to find her on hours of tape was literally looking like up for a needle in a haystack. Sure. So there's hundreds of hours to review, but police did just that. They go to the hotel and they sit in an office for 20 hours a day um, during those first few days that she's missing, searching for footage. Then they saw her on camera in the elevator cam. Detectives thought her behavior was unusual. Mm -hmm. They attempted to figure out if she left with someone or left the hotel at all. So after they see her on the video in the elevator, they watch the video from the exits. And this is why they know in their opinion, from what they've seen, Elisa has never left the Cecil. They felt she was still in the hotel somewhere. Mm-hmm. It had absorbed her somewhere, Sharna. Mm-hmm. I feel like this place of, of evil has, has absorbed her into it. Yep. So if she didn't leave, where could she be? And who was a suspect, if there was even a suspect? Could she still be alive there and under someone's control? And they're hoping and praying that this is the case at this point. Certainly. That she's there that she's still there, and that they just need to find her. The Cecil is described as really a flop house. Tourists not understanding when they come and book this place that there are actual people living here. So the people who are fresh out of jails and prisons, sex offenders who couldn't obtain housing in their areas, this was the type of place that you could rent cheaply and stay as your residence. Yeah. And that general manager, she explained that in her 10 years there, there wasn't a day that went by that there weren't one to three calls for help. There were reports of domestic violence, arson, drug overdoses, stabbings, and assaults. And um, trigger alert, one time there had been a body there and she was shown it that was found on a hot day that was so distended and purple it was on the verge of blowing up. 
Oh, God. And she, this GM, had never been exposed to stuff like this before. Right, right. She was brought in to try to make this hotel pretty and successful, which I'm going to get to. Okay. Women also were reporting and had reported in the past being spied on in the shared bathrooms. Mm -hmm. Elisa certainly would have been overwhelmed and nowhere equipped to deal with this type of environment. Law enforcement then searches the entire hotel to try to locate her because they know that she's there. They this feel her a, there this somewhere. This is a lamb in a lion's den. It is a lamb in a lion's den, mm-hmm. uh, to pun, to play on words, right? Mm-hmm. Fourteen police officers did an intense search, and they anticipated an incredibly long night because they searched room to room and everything in between, including all 600 closets in the Cecil. Mm. The GM had employees there to unlock every door, including the basement. They looked everywhere that a body could be stowed. They asked about employee comings and goings and even when the trash left. And at this point, the GM's like, oh, my God, they think that somebody left her in a dumpster? Like, she couldn't even believe it. Yeah, humans do that to each other. Yeah. They did. And she's petite. She's tiny. She's a tiny human. They bring dogs in to track scents. The dog does pick up on her scent from her room on the fifth floor and tracks the the smell to a window at the end of the hall looking over the street. There is a fire escape there too. This is a fire escape like you would see in every movie, like Gotham style Batman, where it goes all the way down. You pull it down from the ground if you need to, but you can gain access to the entire building from this fire escape. The scent then was lost. So they didn't smell her on the fire escape. She's just lost. Could she have just walked there at some point, Chanel? Chanel? Possibly. Sure, and looked out the window. Yes. So detectives with canines even search the roof, and they call in helicopters to light up that dark area in downtown L.A. They search, and they find no evidence. So where in the hell was she? Two weeks have passed, and it's close to 10 p.m. one night when they decide to regroup, and then something terrible is going to happen. The next morning, the tactical team from the LAPD went to their own war. They had to deal with Christopher Dorner, the former LAPD officer who waged war on the Los Angeles Police Department in 2013 and was known as the cop killer. Dorner had recently committed a series of revenge killings against the LAPD. He had killed police officers and even the daughter of a retired police captain. Mm. So he killed four and wounded three beginning on February 3rd. And now it's February 12th. And this is the point where he's fatally shot during a standoff. The point of this is that if the timing couldn't have been worse, it couldn't have been worse. Right, right. So Elisa's case went from 18 to four detectives on hers. Right. She's missing. She's been missing. They lose law enforcement eyes. Mm -hmm. Because of something terrible that's Mm -hmm. happening. I mean, LAPD, or I'm sorry, LA is in a state of terror. This person is killing uh, people. And at this point, they finally realize he's targeting uh, LAPD officers because of who he is. And and their families. And their families. So law enforcement implores the public's help. And this is when the elevator footage is released officially. Okay. So let's go to uh, 13 days post-disappearance. And I want to talk to you about some people. So there's a man by the name of John Lorden. And let's just be honest, John's a YouTuber. Okay. okay? And he's interviewed on this documentary a number of times. He sees the post that LAPD releases. And this is what we see. I'm going to do my best, and we will try so to hard find on a link. A, an audio platform to be able to it describe is. visuals. And so the only thing that I can say is we will very cognizantly try to attach the, the video. Mm-hmm. 
So the elevator doors open. The camera is situated up in the elevator. So you're in the interior. Yes. And a woman walks in. She bends over like with her face down by the buttons. And she strangely presses every button down the whole center row of buttons. Mm -hmm. So starting at the top, there's like what, two to three rows of, I'm sorry, three to four rows of elevator buttons with all of the numbers for um, floors. And she goes right down the middle and presses all of them. She looks relaxed at this point. She doesn't look too bad, but the doors aren't closing. So then she kind of looks outside the open elevator door because again, the door's not closing. And then she kind of hides in the corner of the elevator where the buttons are. So she goes from pressing the buttons and kind of backing up against the wall. Then the doors aren't closing. So she looks outside and then she quick kind of hides around the corner and has her back up against where the buttons are. The door's still open. She peeks outside again. Then she comes out of the elevator and you saw my hand. She kind of makes a hop, like a weird hop. And then she makes some strange steps back and forth in the door. It almost looks like a square dance. Mm-hmm. she goes then to the left from our vantage point. What we're seeing from the camera goes to the left outside of the elevator door. And then you can only see her arm, but she appears to be gesturing. But the like elevator is talking to somebody kind of, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave that up to you or herself, mm-hmm. but the elevator isn't going anywhere still like the door is still open. It is not even attempting to close. Then Elisa comes in to the elevator and starts pressing all of the buttons. So why is she hitting all the different floors? I assume because the damn door won't close and she's scared. She's trying to get it to something do is something. scaring her and she wants it to do something. She gets out again. Then she makes these strange and erratic hand motions, waving like she's either acting something out. Her body movements are kind of twisting and turning. And then she even appears to be like counting with her fingers, like her fingers are moving in a way that it looks like she's using them to count. She then leaves the elevator to the left Mm -hmm. and is gone. Then you are looking at an empty elevator with the door open. Two minutes go by, and now the door shuts quickly. It is truly bizarre. You could watch this over and over again. The door opens back up, and still nothing happens. It's like it's described as a four-minute ghost story. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So the girl gets in. The elevator isn't working. The girl gets distressed and leaves, and then the elevator works. It is truly supernatural and bizarre. And then at four minutes, the video ends. So then we have web sleuths. It's 2013. The internet is in full force and effect. Right. And people are drawn in by the story and specifically by this bizarre video. And this case takes off in popularity with people trying to solve it on their own. The disappearance of Elisa Lamb is very public at this point. Mm-hmm. The general manager of the hotel was worried that people thought she didn't care what happened or what had happened to Elisa. So she made statements in the documentary that she did the interview because she wanted to be transparent. She talked about her first couple of days on the job. The maintenance man had told her there was a problem, and this is when she first found a dead guest. Before she had worked at the hotel, she had never dealt with dead bodies, coroners, or cops, and this quickly became her new normal. Yeah, an everyday occurrence Every day occurrence almost. At the very least, making 911 calls and right. having law enforcement Working contact. Working with law enforcement, yep. The maintenance manager walked her through the hotel, showing her where suicides and murders had happened. She said she never got used to that and even asked sarcastically during the tour, is there a room here someone hasn't died in? Mm. So go to two weeks then since Elisa's disappearance. Tips were coming in. 
uh, after the release specifically of that elevator footage. But then there's a roadblock. John Lorden, that YouTuber, said, so Elise is the reason he started his channel. Okay. Okay. This bizarre event pulled him in. Okay. So there's this reporter who's working for the LA Weekly, um, not John Lorden, but this actual reporter who makes his own channel, like a news report channel, and he posts this uh, disappearance in the video, and it blows up on YouTube and Reddit and other message boards, which draws John's attention and why he starts this YouTube page regarding Elise's disappearance. It goes viral. It's 2013. Viral videos are are new, but they happen. Mm -hmm. A Chinese affiliate website sees it. They share it. It gets 25 million views internationally. Holy shit. Web sleuths that are commenting on the spookiness of the video. And online crime fighting is starting to become a hobby. This is when I think true crime starts to become uh, popular. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's why we're here. Uh, People are interested and want to know. Well, Lordman starts his site, and online people start taking um, Elisa's online posts, all of the things that she's been posting on Tumblr, and they begin to apply things to the case. Got, got nothing but time. Look yeah, at look right, at how much right. time we spend on a case and researching. So they read through her Tumblr posts, and there's years of her writing to go back, and they start to learn who she is as a person, and they fall in love with her. Mm-hmm. She used Tumblr as a diary. Yeah. Saying things like, here's a quote, you remind me the world is big and I have a place in it somewhere. She's like talking to Tumblr. Yeah. She also posted lots of art pictures. She was a huge fan of Harry Potter and the great Gatsby and was obviously an incredibly creative soul. Elisa was a person who had wanderlust. She wanted to travel and experience the world. She quote stated, I want to experience it all. But, she did post about feeling blah. And it was speculated at that point in her earlier posts that she was dealing with some issues. She then mentioned being bipolar. She had been diagnosed. She was feeling depressed for weeks at a time. Elisa did seek treatment and was prescribed an antidepressant and said she felt it had made a difference. Elisa then posted affirmations about being strong. Her Tumblr made people feel like they knew her and they wanted to help her. Her social media never indicated that she would just run off and disappear. I mean, this was a 21-year-old woman documenting her life for strangers to see Mm -hmm. almost every minute of it. Her followers knew that something bad had happened to her. At this point, we're led back to the elevator. I specifically am concerned, and so were her her fans, her supporters, people who, who were falling in love with her about these these buttons. Why did she push them like that all down the middle? Yeah. She did appear to be stable, as in she wasn't swaying or stumbling like she was intoxicated. Right. Not under the influence. Not mm-hmm. of alcohol, which has some pretty visible, yep. you know. Outwardly signs. Outward signs of physical, physically. But investigators did consider LSD or sure. something else mind-altering. They have to consider all possibilities. They do, and they referred to the area outside there in Skid Row as the biggest open-air drug market in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. So law enforcement wants to know if she's been using drugs. Yeah. Elisa was sharing a room at the hotel with those couple of other girls. The girls had apparently complained about her behavior, and Elisa was moved into a private hotel room. Oh. 
Okay. Her behavior had decompensated over just a few days of her staying in that kind of shared hostel like room with them. In the Cecil. In the Cecil. She or yes, I uh, her room was moved to a different room in the Cecil. Yep. So kind of a, from a community bunk room to more of a private room. The question then was, was she experimenting with drugs? Was she having a symptom of her bipolar? What was going on? She does look like she's gesturing and communicating with someone, Charnel. Mm-hmm. Was she alone? Was there someone there? Was there someone there she either could or could not see? See. Mm-hmm. So how much were her former roommates linked into as well is something that I asked. To compound all of those questions, the elevator was just so bizarre. So Lisa keeps looking outside like, is someone following her? Mm-hmm. Charnel, I asked, like, was someone potentially holding the buttons outside to keep the elevator door mm-hmm. from moving? Mm-hmm. Um, did she see someone coming down the hall and get scared? And then she tried to hide. hide. Mm-hmm. But then when the door won't shut, she goes out into the hall to confront them. It literally looks like she could be engaging also to some type of external or internal stimuli. Mm-hmm. Was there a spirit? Was she hallucinating? Right. And the other question was, some people asked online, did someone purposely stall the elevator? Like, was there somebody in charge of the elevator and had they stalled it for some type of nefarious reason or even for maintenance? Again, she looks like she's hiding at one point. So was she interacting with someone in the hall? Was she on the run? One frame is blurry when she's outside of the elevator, but it does look like, and again, this is from an online investigator, that you can see a shoe. And when you look down and you see the shoe, it does not appear to be the same shoe that Elisa was wearing. So there's this gut feeling from some of the video observers online that there was someone else outside the elevator. And if so, was it someone she knew? It is not inconceivable that she met someone and like kind of knew them. Remember, she's open to meeting new people. Was she coming back from an encounter? She did blog that she was going out. And at one point, and this is before her trip to L.A., she said that creepers were hitting on her and following her. So she'd made these posts before. She is pretty. And I think that she's someone who someone might follow or maybe go overboard with. If she's friendly, she said before her mouth might get her in trouble. What if someone thought she was overly friendly at a bar and decided it was some type of an invitation? And then when you tell them, hey, I'm staying at the Cecil they may think that in and of itself is an invitation. For sure. And we've had those conversations that there are some men that feel if a woman smiles at them that they want to sleep with them. Correct. Absolutely. Because you opened your mouth to smile, you'll open it for anything. Right. We know those men. In 2007, so a few years before uh, Elisa's disappearance, um, gentrification has started to occur. And for those of you that don't know that big word, it's basically when you're kind of new millennials and people who are do-gooders want to bring nicer living possibilities into downtown areas, often areas that were not nice before. Gentrification is very controversial because while it um, can upgrade downtown areas, usually the people who live there are completely displaced and hate you for coming in there because you're taking their only spot that they've ever had. Mm-hmm. You're, you're millennializing it. Mm-hmm. You're making mm-hmm. it, it inappropriately bougie. Right. How's that? Right. Yeah, I like that. Inappropriately bougie. Yeah. But at the same time, they're great for, um, for businesses and for sure. downtowns and completely bring back um, dying cities. Mm-hmm. So new construction projects begin, and they make downtown living in L.A. a new trend. Before, it was not. You didn't live downtown unless you were in seedy establishments. Skid Row was still the scariest area, but people were trying to make it hip. So the hotel was sold in 2007 
for $26 million. It was known as the worst hotel in L.A. This general manager. God, who even you, the worst hotel in L.A. will go it. for $26 million? It did. God. And it, remember, it's beautiful. Yeah. So in terms of uh, gentrification in that area, it could potentially be a, a profit. Yeah. So the GM, when she gets hired, it's during this time frame to try during the time that they're making the downtown L.A. area like a destination. She's the one who's supposed to be making it happen. And she says she treats this as a corporate job. She felt her job was to fix this hotel and make it like a like a best Western mm-hmm. or like a Holiday Inn, something like that. And I will tell you that even though it doesn't come up, it bothers me that she's trying to make this hotel into something nice. And this person then who comes and dies there or comes and is missing there, um, she's a college student and not a vagrant or a criminal. So is there a motive for covering it up? Like they're used to people mm-hmm. dying there in that mm-hmm. area. But this time, it, bad press is not good, mm-hmm. right? right? Sometimes bad press is good press. But not when you have a, a really nice 21-year-old college student that everybody likes from out of the country coming to visit, and she comes up missing. Because as humans, we tend to categorize, like, oh, he, was, he was a drug dealer, yeah. so it's no right. big loss. So if that person died at the hotel, then right. it's not probably even, even going to make, make the, the news. news. No, because we categorize but human this life. Did. So yep. was their motive for a cover-up? Right. Yes, absolutely. We didn't want to ruin the reputation of the, the new hopeful reputation of the mm-hmm. Cecil. Mm-hmm. There were 80 tenants or so living there. This was their home. Mm. Some of them had been renting, living there for 40 years. Holy shit. Yeah. Literally, people had lived there for that long. They were paying like $400 a month or so. So oh how God, do you get better than affordable living? Complex. Yeah. Yeah. Then the new owners. And someone cleans your house for you. <laughs> right. I don't think they probably went in to clean those rooms. Oh, my God. Just a thought, but... So the new owners of this $26 million purchase, they want the tenants evicted. Okay. Work, however, comes to a stop because with its zoning and how it was being used, it was considered a monthly rental residential hotel. So they, what was determined then is that only part of the rooms could be rented as a hotel and the rest was to stay for low-income housing. Oh, This made it very unlikely that the hotel would ever be successful. Yes. And the less than savory residents, uh, as they're trying to upgrade the hotel and the rentals, of course, aren't going to be cooperative and they don't want to be displaced. No. So the hotel, as I've indicated before, was historically dark and it's a hotbed for death. And these are things that we need to keep in mind when thinking about Elisa and what happened to her that night or even what she may have saw if Mm -hmm. we want to go to the spooky aspect of this. Mm -hmm. In 1931, a guest, W.K. Norton, died in his room after taking poison capsules. There was another suicide where a man slashed his own throat, committing suicide. Um, We're going to get to all this later. And there was a terrifying suicide where a woman, Mrs. Otten, had been arguing with her husband, and then she jumped from a window. But she killed herself and landed on a pedestrian in the street and killed him as well. No! Talk about the worst fucking day ever. Oh, my God. Wrong time. Walk in mind in your own business. Holy shit. So throughout the 40s and 50s, there were many more suicides at the Cecil. In 2008, two long-term residents referred to the Cecil as the suicide, which remained a nickname for years. Holy crap. They called the Cecil the Suicide Hotel. It became a notorious... Did she jump or was she pushed? These are all good questions. And as I present these to you later, and I will, I promise, you can use your own imagination and opinion as to the time frame they occurred and 
what may have happened surrounding the events. Okay. It became a notorious rendezvous spot for adulterous couples. Sure. You know, running it by the hour. I mean, isn't every hotel? Mm, it could be. <laughs> Drug activity. Depending on your socioeconomic status, exactly. every hotel really could be. And a common ground for prostitutes. This is a spot where they could chiefly get a room to conduct business. In 1964, a retired telephone operator named Pigeon Goldie Osgood. Pigeon. Yeah, Pigeon Goldie. Pigeon Goldie. She had been well-known and well-liked. She was a resident kind of long-term of the hotel. She was found dead in her room. She had been raped, stabbed, beaten, and her room was ransacked. Mm. A Jacques B. Ellinger was charged with her murder because he was seen covered in blood roaming the streets close to the hotel, but was later cleared as a suspect, and her murder remains unsolved. It was just somebody else's blood that he had on his body. Let me bring you to the 1980s because this hotel becomes a powder keg. And by that, I mean the veritable, it could explode at any time. Mm -hmm. At that point, going higher than the sixth floor meant you were going to be robbed, beaten, and potentially thrown from windows. It is a bad place. And somehow, the Cecil becomes a serial killer hotspot. It was the temporary residence of serial killer Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker Mm -hmm. from L.A., Ramirez was a regular presence on the Skid Row area of Los Angeles, and according to a hotel clerk who claims to have spoken to him, Ramirez is rumored to have stayed at the Cecil for a few weeks. Ramirez engaged in most of, if not all, of his killing sprees while staying there. Mm. He killed 14 people over a 50-mile radius, where he, of course, uh, as most of you know, attacked single women, children, and couples. Mm. And in 1985, fear was at an all-time high as to where he would hit next. He was a violent killer, sketching pentagrams on his victim's skin, trigger alert, nearly decapitating heads, raping, and even at one point, real big trigger alert, removing a victim's eyes as a trophy. Mm -hmm. He reportedly would strip off his bloody clothes in the alley outside of the Cecil before climbing the interior stairs to his residence in his blood-stained underwear. Oh, people didn't even report this shit. not sketch at all. No. Why? How would that even be sketched there at the Cecil? That's normal. Yep. Right, just a guest enjoying his night out. Right, just another dude committing nefarious acts. As most of you may be aware, on August 30th in 85, a group of L.A. residents spotted Ramirez in the street and prevented him from escaping until police arrived to arrest him. In 89, he was convicted of 13 murders and sentenced to death, although he would ultimately instead die of cancer in 2013. Austrian Jack Unterweger stayed at the Cecil in 1991. Jack posed as a journalist from Austria there to do a story on how police dealt with street prostitution in L.A. He went on a ride-along and immersed himself in the sex work industry, leading to him regularly having prostitutes come up, you know, research. Yes, yes, yes. He was, however, actually a convicted killer and pimp in Austria. He had been in prison in the uh, 70s for some type of rape, potentially murder, and fled from Austria to L.A. because after he was released from prison in the 90s, um, Austrian women started coming up missing and dead. Then when he arrives in L.A., strangely and weirdly, L.A. women began to die, specifically prostitutes in that Skid Row area. He was eventually caught in L.A. and... It was determined that the Cecil was his chosen location to scout victims, and he had stayed there and been staying there. It is rumored that he sought to copy the night killer, Ramirez's crimes. He did strangle and kill a minimum of three sex workers. So we have the Cecil, the suicide, hotel death. Reviews online referred to it as that. 
you can find reviews for the Cecil where it's referred to as the suicide hotel death. One person called it a place where dreams go to die. Oh, very unsafe. Right. <laughs> that was the most judicious one I saw. Right. Very unsafe. Very unsafe. Well, in 2013, which is the time frame when our young and lovely Miss Lamb and our visitors from the UK decide to come stay here, Stay on Main was established. So there are two separate hotels in one building. The Cecil was for tenants and Stay on Main for travelers. So when you looked up hotels to stay at in the area, you saw this cute, trendy little Stay on Main with the beautiful lobby and the fronts. That's what's being advertised to international and and travelers within the United States. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be a clean slate. Mm Mm-hmm. They and it's literally out. warning you to stay yep. on Main Street. Stay on Main. <laughs> there were mapped out uh, three floors within the Cecil's 15 stories. It was a 15-story building minus the 13th floor, so it's really 14th. It was built right. during the time when we were superstitious of the number 13, and some <laughs> right. still are. So floors 4, 5, and 6 would be stay on Main, the kind of boutique hotel. It had a separate front door and with its own lobby, so the grand, beautiful lobby. They tried to spruce it up. It was cosmetic upgrades at first, like paint. They put bunk beds in those community rooms, new bedding. And it really, though, I mean, it was just a Band-Aid. So the issue was, even with this nicer place to come and visit, they shared common elevators accessible to everyone. So they tried to take Stay on Main and made it its own independent hotel. But there was nothing keeping from the uh, clients over at the Cecil from using the same elevators, the same hallways, the same stairwells. And there was nothing to stop them from going into, they didn't have key cards. Right. Anybody could get anywhere in in this uh, hotel slash residence. This was misleading um, to, as to safety, as I've indicated. So Elisa Lamb and our UK visitors, they end up staying at Stan Main with its trendy branding, having no idea and I feel like if we want to look at this from a paranormal aspect, do you feel like the Cecil is like trapping, like it's a spider and it's trapping flies mm-hmm. in its web? Mm-hmm. It just is not appearing what it actually was. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to the elevator again. Okay. Elisa Lamb discussion groups formed on Facebook like crazy. And I'm going to refer to this and you can take it however you want, but keyboard detectives start to share their ideas. <laughs> Now, not all of them are bad, okay? Mm -hmm. The video itself with web sleuths saw the timestamp on it was so unclear, you couldn't really tell what it said. It looked so muddled that the characters were unreasonable, leaving, unreadable, leaving them to believe that the footage was edited or intentionally blocked out. Yep. Also, when they noticed Elise's hands gesturing outside of the elevator, her hands are moving very slowly. Slowly enough that they speculated footage had been intentionally slowed down. Okay. The video from one expert online s- indicates he believes the video was slowed down by 33 to 35%, which would make the footage look even creepier than it actually was. Mm-hmm. The video they indicated looks cut when the door finally closes because what happens is you see the door jump like six inches really fast and then continue to close slowly. Yep. They believed some of these keyboard detectives that it was clearly edited. The numbers started to be decoded and they believed that 53 seconds were actually cut and disappeared. What happened in 53 seconds, because a lot can, was it edited to remove someone from the video 
was it edited before it was provided to the police? Right. I mean, the police are indicating that they went through all of this footage and that it took them hours and hours and days. So would somebody have had time? Maybe somebody who knew the exact time she was came up missing. Right, right. Someone who knew how to just pinpoint right yep. to the likely time. A hotel employee, someone with control over the system or yes. access to it. Right. And the question then started to become, was there a cover-up mm-hmm. at the Cecil Hotel? The general manager did speak as to the elevator footage. She said she provided the footage herself um, and set the police officers up with a room there, and she said it was given over as is to law enforcement. She swears there is no way it was edited by the hotel. And perhaps that is her, uh, you know, her understanding. Does she know of any other employees that might have access to it? At this point, she says there was no way um, that anybody else would have had access to it and, and would have edited it or would have had time to edit it. That is her opinion. But she gives me this vibe in the miniseries that I don't love, if you want my honest opinion. And I think looking back at her in hindsight, it's because the Cecil was ultimately sued over this and she was the general manager at the time. Mm -hmm. So that could have been part of it. Mm -hmm. You are not, you are not going to love this. Okay. February 9th of 2013. So we're, we're about three weeks, almost three Mm -hmm. weeks out. Mike and Sabina Bach, who are the UK visitors, report that about five days into their vacation, They were struggling to sleep. There were huge raging parties that seemed to be happening in rooms around them, and the smell of weed was coming up through the bathroom vent, and it was just disgusting. To make it worse, the water pressure was very low. It was discolored. It was brownish. It was gross. The whole hotel is disgusting. They're brushing their teeth. They're showering, and they're like, we have no water pressure. We want to move. So they complained. And management moves them up to a different floor, two floors up. Because remember, there's like, what would I say, four, six, and seven, or four, five, and six that were uh, the stay on main. But the water pressure doesn't get any better, um, so they put in a maintenance request. The general manager asked maintenance, uh, our Mr. Lopez, uh, to check into it. Um, Mr. Lopez describes he's one of those guys who's kind of on call 24 hours. So he gets up and goes and checks the pressure and finds that the water is leaking in such a way that he knows there must be a problem. The hotel water was supplied by four large tanks, and he thought that maybe a tank had run out of water. He went to the roof, gaining access to the tank uh, by a ladder. That was the only way up there. So once you're on the roof, uh, there's the four tanks, and you can either get to them by going up another level where there's like a platform um, that kind of looks down over the tanks, or you would have to climb, and you've seen these tanks in like silos where they just have the scary little ladder that's attached by bolts going up the side, and that would be the way that you would get up. So he climbs up that ladder, And um, once he's on the roof, he looks inside, and I will tell you that at this point in time, he sees her. Mm -hmm. Lopez says she floated up in the tank of water like a ghost. He did report it immediately to the GM. He specifically went down and said, Elisa Lamb is in our water tank. This was 19 days after she disappeared. Was she in it the whole 19 days? The GM admitted that she called her mom before she called the police because she was so shocked. Oh, wow. Okay, so she does also, make that admission. Can we just pause for yeah, a Yeah, we second. can take a big pause because I just that, gave you a lot. But with that, that poor soul that pushed open the lid of a water tank and there was a person floated up at him, that has got to be something that you, 
that's made of nightmares. That's things made of nightmares. The the whole thing this, is it is, but this the, the he's I can't thinking that a imagine. tank has gone empty because of the pressure. Yes, and then you have this discolored and bad tasting water, and now we know why. Oh my god! And exactly. all of these people in the hotel. Oh my god! Yes, but I just that's got to be an image. Yep, that is imprinted in his brain for, for sure. the rest of his life. There were, there were no less than, at this point in time, after this discovery, 100 people on the roof. There is uh, forensic oh exam uh, investigators, police officers, first responders. It is, it is just full. Now, the tank hatch... Uh, also why I drink bottled water right, hotels. at hotels, correct. The tank hatch uh, was closed when law enforcement arrived. Um, and when they looked in, they saw... They also lifted and, and saw Lisa floating face up, naked, and in a considerable state of decomposition. And that's all I'm going to give you on that. Right. I, you don't, right. that. That's all that matters. Her clothes were at the bottom of the tank. Okay. So she's naked, but her clothes are at the bottom of the tank. The guests in the hotel started to approach the receptionist at the front desk, but no one would tell them what happened. So they go outside, and oh. there's reporters. Oh, Lord. And hundreds of guests at this point find out that they have been drinking the water mm. and bathing and in showering water in oh. at a hotel where this young lady has been found to be in the tank. You guys, I know. Just absorb that for a second. Oh, yep. No. So the general manager admits that she did tell staff not to talk to media because mm -hmm. of people misconstruing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hotel was. I don't think that's out of line. No, I mean no, I'm not allowed to talk to the media. It's not, and in they're my line of they're work. investigating something serious. But you can imagine that people are just. I mean, one person was interviewed, and he was like, "I feel sick. Like oh, I, just, yeah. I feel sick. Yeah, right. Wouldn't you? Not to be insensitive to the family and to Lisa herself, but just to know what had been happening for the past almost three weeks. Absolutely. So they did shut the hotel down at least briefly, and guests were relocated as one would imagine I and, and would be appropriate. So. Mm -hmm. The roof was checked by police, remember, yeah. before. And they had been confident, uh, the detective, he was confident that she wasn't there. He, he says, I just feel confident. Tanks? I said, did they even check the tanks, though? Right, because is that something that you would ordinarily do? There's no report that they did. But here's right. the thing. If you bring canines up mm -hmm. and they don't, catch a scent yeah okay then and nothing leads you over to the tanks and there's not any evidence based off of the canine that she was up there then would you no I, i'm gonna say this as a police officer would you even have enough knowledge about water tanks to know that you could easily slide a lid off from one because i wouldn't know that i would think they're bolted down and that it would take well, a big you know, process. A lot of stuff comes up with this. Okay. Charnel, a because lot. Because I just wouldn't also, we know that canine scent isn't perfect. It's not a perfect, no, uh, you but know, remember science, but she's in water. There is oxidization that has happened. It's outside, Charnel. It's outside. There, what, and what is the metal that those tanks are in? I mean, right. all of that can mess with scent. I think the fact that you see dogs so well trained and then they're fine, they can track her scent over to a window, which she either could have left out of or they could have, you know, she could have just gone there and stopped mm -hmm. and looked out the window. Right. But they, 
they didn't have the scent on the roof. Remember, we're outside. It's exposed to the elements. It could have been, you know, raining Mm -hmm. and and heat itself. What type of outside things influenced whether or not they could catch a scent Mm -hmm. outside? So we have to think about those and take that into consideration. Um, I think in terms of looking, and if you watch this interview and the detective, he's hurt. Like he is, he can't believe he, he missed it. Like, oh my God, I didn't look in the water tanks. That dogs can't verbally talk to us. So they give cues. They give cues. And as a human, there is human error. It's possible that they even missed a subtle cue. Potentially. I mean, this isn't perfect, right? No, it it is not a perfect uh, science, especially with a weak scent. Yes. You know? Right. So at this point, and if she was carried onto the roof and put, so in let's there, yeah, we're gonna get to this be too. Even weaker. So at this point, um, Elisa Lamb's death is referred to as a suspicious death, but it's not listed as a homicide, and there certainly are no suspects at this point. Now, according to police policy. Every death investigation does start off like a homicide, and they indicate that this was no difference. Okay, so that that what that means is they're going to look at everything as suspicious to try to rule things out. Certainly, they're fact finding. Yep. Her body, though, is the only physical evidence. I want to explain. This might be a trigger alert, but it's almost kind of beautiful, so that they didn't cause damage to her because this is a this is a small opening. Think a manhole cover size. Yeah. They drained the tank and let her body softly float down to the bottom oh, to remove okay, it. Okay, okay, that's And then smart. they cut the bottom of the tank out to gently remove her. Okay. Then they printed all over, and they ultimately found nothing to point to a suspect. Okay, okay. so of course there might be some fingerprints, like from our maintenance guy and yeah. such, but nothing to point to a suspect. There was also nothing to support any type of a crime of violence. So no evidence of that, which I will get to more which, in more detail. Which water can wash away too. How did she end up in the water tank on the roof then? Mm-hmm. So did she go up the fire escape? Was she hiding in there? Was something haunting her? There are mm-hmm. so many questions now more that we have found her. So it's not the vanishing of Elisa Liam anymore. Now we have what has happened to right. her. The mysterious death of. Mm-hmm. On February 20th, which is the day after uh, the body has been found... The interest of, in the hotel goes through the roof, okay? Here, here's the bad part about the internet. It was exciting for the internet mm-hmm. uh, and keyboard investigators. Can we just, uh, the internet. It was exciting for the it internet. It was exciting for the mm-hmm. internet, for the online sleuths. So they began to try to solve this mystery and start booking the hotel. Holy shit. It becomes yeah. an obsession and people want to get inside and look for answers themselves. Remember that a lot of this is, in my opinion, due to Elisa being so prevalent on Tumblr that people felt like they knew her and loved her. They wanted to help. So these investigators who are clearly amateurs are commenting as they're going through, and you can see videos, walkthroughs of them. Some of them are interesting, and some of them make you feel a little sick. I don't like seeing people smiling and being excited going through as they're tracing her last steps. Mm -mm. They gain access not only to the lobby, the floor she stays on, and in one or two of the videos, even the room that she had stayed in. There are homemade videos then of people, as I indicated, repeating myself, uh, gaining access to the places she's been. The sleuths were interested specifically in the elevator, and one interesting thing was discovered that I wholeheartedly believe is very important to this case, but I also think that the police knew this, 
I don't think it was disclosed because remember it's an active investigation, but there's no way the police didn't know this. But when the online sleuths start doing their own research, they find out something that the police wouldn't have released Released, and they're not releasing the police report. If you pushed the buttons down the middle, like Elisa did in the video, right down the center, including pressing the bottom button, it was the door hold button. And when that button was pressed, the door would stay open for two minutes. Okay. So, Charnel, from watching her and the bizarre behavior, she may have inadvertently, trying to hurry and get away from whatever was happening to her, mm-hmm. pressed the hold button. And she does appear to be engaging with something or someone in the hall. Mm-hmm. And when she accidentally presses the button, she's scared about what's seeing outside. It certainly would have caused distress because she's like, why won't the fucking door close, right? Right, right. exactly investigators online investigators also believe that she was on the 14th floor the one below the roof because when she hits the middle row of buttons the very top button is the 14th floor and the number goes off immediately indicating your presence on that floor it's not going to light up or to light off and go off if you're on that present floor yep having tested that out in an elevator before i know that to be the case Mm -hmm. the fire escapes let me talk about quickly um But I don't think that this is how she gained access, okay? They're located at each of the windows at the end of the halls that lead to those metal balconies with stairs. But the last level up from the 14th to the roof is really scary because it's no longer a balcony. It's a metal wire, a metaled ladder that goes just up the brick with no protection. It's not caged in. It's it's literally just a ladder bolted to the side of the building. And she'd been staying on the fifth floor, at least where the dog's tractor sent to um, by the window for escape. So it's terrifying that she could have made that climb from the fifth floor all the way up. It's a potential. But if she was on the 14th floor, Mm -hmm. like they indicate, um, no dogs did ever track her inside. So I'm less skeptical or I'm less likely to believe that she went over to the fire escape to right, climb up the right. scary ladder. Mm-mm. More than likely, she utilized this other method because there was another way to the roof. Yes. When she exited the elevator, we see her go left. Left. Mm-hmm. If she continues left, she could have taken the internal stairs yep. with access to the, to roof, the roof. And we saw her go yep. left, Charnel. Yep. And if she couldn't figure out why the elevator wasn't working, then why wouldn't she go to the stairs? Yep. Right? right. If she, especially if she's scared or trying to get away from someone. Yes. But then if this is the case now, why did she go up? Well, why didn't she go down to her room on the would fifth? Why did she go to the that roof? That was the rough. Or did she think that it was potentially just another floor? We not, don't know. You know, not knowing. She could have. It's like that old saying about why do all the women in a scary movie run up the stairs instead of out the house instead of out the house and trap themselves? Yeah, she could have very easily not realized that that was the dead end that she was trapping herself on a dead end. Well, there was a door at the top of the stairs to the roof, and there was a do not enter warning sign and an indication that an alarm would sound. But it, but it wasn't locked. You could get through. Okay, so here's another thing. If she's in distress, don't you think she would hope that the alarm would sound and then raise suspicion so Possibly. someone would come to her rescue? And also let me note that it isn't a loud uh, audio, audio, audible alarm. It goes off at the front desk. Okay. Uh, supposed to go off at the front desk. Mm-hmm. Now, I if I recall... Staff did say at some point in time that she was somewhere she wasn't supposed to be, Uh but it never indicates where. Right. And they also say that they saw her in the place she wasn't supposed to be before she got on the elevator. So I don't think Uh it's the roof. Uh But how did she end up on there without them knowing if an alarm sounded? What's speculated is that, like everything else in this building, it wasn't working. It wasn't working. Yeah. 
And then she somehow ends up in the damn water tank. If you're going to dump somebody in one of these tanks, you would have to be familiar with it. You'd have to know where it was, how to access it. And there's still no evidence that any other guests or employees were suspects at this point. So law enforcement does discover some footage of her coming into the hotel very briefly with two men. So what happened was, and this is before the, this, these events uh, in the elevator, there was an exchange of a box one of the men was carrying. So she takes the box, and then the two men turn around and leave. So who the hell are they, and how does she know them, and what are they giving her? Mm-hmm. So law enforcement goes back to um, evidence to review her personal belongings again, mm-hmm. and they find a box there that matches. This box leads them to the bookstore in downtown that she oh. had been to called The Last What's Bookstore. I, oh, God. Yeah, listen, there are synchronicities in our lives and signs everywhere, they are. you guys. We're going to get to all kinds They're of them, everywhere. too. So this was just somebody from the bookstore delivering her, her purchases? And you got it. Yeah. The bookstore remembered she made a purchase and had worried it would be too heavy to carry around because of either the size of the book or the number she had purchased. So they were delivered to the hotel in this box. Oh, nice. Cameras don't show those two people ever coming back to the hotel again. It would appear they simply made a delivery. So there's still no evidence of foul play. Mm-hmm. And police are back to square one. You know what's interesting? Why does though? it take two men to deliver a box of books? Who knows? Interesting. Because they were going to the fucking oh, Cecil. That's true. <laughs> that's a good point. You're on Skid Row yes. and you're at the Cecil. I'd want law enforcement right. to come with me to deliver a box of books. They're from there. They're like, yeah, bro, I'm not going alone. No, yeah. no way. You got to come ba- watch my back while I deliver these. I can't find anywhere, anywhere, what the titles of the books were that she bought or whether they even found the books in the box or whether it was just simply empty with like a receipt or like the name of the bookstore mm-hmm. on it. And I don't know that it's important, but the curiosity, I want to know what her last things were that mm-hmm. she was buying to read. I yep. really do. Yep. All right. So the question becomes, was Elisa alone that night? And our online sleuths are, are very adamant that they think no. How did she get to the roof and climb the ladder on the tank and crawl in? So these tanks, they're 10 feet high and six foot wide. The lid weighs 20 pounds, and it is not hinged. So it's okay. a metal plate. Easy enough to push around. Which be- means if it's not hinged, it doesn't stay in one place. Right. It's either down or up. Yep, yep. Once you would go into the tank. It's either on or off. It's on or off, yep. You have no way out. No. They wondered, was she on a party drug like E? I mean, had she done some ecstasy or LSD? Was she on some type of a bad trip? She had indicated before on her Tumblr, she doesn't do drugs, and she doesn't even drink alcohol. Yeah. There's literally no evidence she was a user, but they thought, police even speculated she was a 21-year-old woman in L.A. Had she been slipped something mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. experimented on drugs with drugs on her own? I think it's more likely that she had been slipped something than to consciously take it sure. on her own. She had also made comments about relapsing into a depression sure, and feeling tired and not wanting to live like this anymore, which led some to believe, could this have been a suicide? This is, this is well prior to her trip though. Sure. Right. Right. Because remember she had um, gone on some medication and Mm -hmm. was starting to finally feel better like herself and wanted to travel. Well, and I don't think her family, if she had been in one of those easily recognizable things would have allowed her to travel. Remember she did state that she hoped that her family parents would allow her. her. And Mm -hmm. even though she was 21, no, like, but culturally. Right. Yeah. It, you got it. Mm-hmm. So now here's something that we aren't going to like. Apparently in one of her previous posts, she had 
indicated that she had thought about killing herself. Okay. And she hoped that with her new um, diagnosis and medication that that feeling was forever gone. Okay. But if she did commit suicide, who would take their clothes off and jump in a water tank? Why wouldn't you jump out the building like, you know, everyone else that's committed suicide at the Cecil? Mm -hmm. The LAPD reported to media outlets. Drowning yourself, by the way, statistically, very, very low a statistic of people not the suicide attempt of choice drowning themselves right it's it's, your body wants to survive even mm -hmm. when you don't want it to so that's one of the reasons drowning is so hard because you will involuntarily try to yep save yourself Mm -hmm. correct so the lapd reports to media outlets okay that that lid on the tank that it was closed so elisa would not have been able to to open or close it from the inside. Well, right. If she was inside swimming, if we think about this, swimming yes. and then lift 20 pounds here's, over her head to close it. Here's one of it. the things that you wish for safety features in the in someday. You know, like silos now, they have um, ladders, ladders on, on the, the inside. inside. Mm-hmm. There are no ladders on the inside of a water tank. No, so she would have had to have been swimming. And if the space between the water and the top of the lid didn't allow her to float right at the top, then she would have had no way to climb out or propel herself out, let alone reach up and close the yeah. lid or open the lid. Yeah. So there were assumptions and conclusions made that someone else would have had to have been involved. Mm -hmm. If she was naked, her clothes would have been off and then maybe what, like thrown in to dispose of them with her. Mm -hmm. It was just so bizarre. They still had no autopsy results to indicate whether or not she had been sexually assaulted. But at this point, there was just honestly no physical evidence to support really any theories. And they speculated, could an employee have been involved or at the very least in a cover-up? Dr. Jason Tovar, who at the time of her death was the associate deputy medical, medical examiner in L.A., spoke about what he saw and, and regarding his attempts to establish a time of death. The clothing matched what was seen in the elevator video okay. that was found at the bottom of the tank. He did say, this could suggest that she died to the day of the video or close to it, but there isn't any conclusive evidence of that. How long had she actually been in the tank then? He indicated she showed a significant level of decomp, but too many variables. The temperature of the water Mm -hmm. and the temperature of the roof are all variables that can slow up or down decomposition, Mm -hmm. and she had been there potentially for such a period of time with either heat or cold. Mm Mm-hmm. That he said there was no conclusive time frame to know how long she had been in the right. tank. Which makes sense scientifically. So now it does. Mm-hmm. And, and now we don't know. Right. Was there evidence of foul play or that she was killed in a different location and brought to the tank? Mm-hmm. Dr. Tovar found that there were no fractures, no wounds, no cuts, no marks, no bruises, no strangulation. There is no evidence of sexual assault either. Mm-hmm. So with no external or even internal injuries leading to her death... Again, no bruises, no ligature marks. If you're carrying somebody up a ladder or drop them from that platform down, there's going to be an external mark, Charnel. This this indicates then that she was pristine. It's it's evidence that she potentially just drowned in this tank. Well, so now he has to determine, did she drown? Mm-hmm. Well, with the drowning, and he indicates there could be. With drowning, there could be foam in airways and lungs filled with fluids. But in this case, there was an absence of those. But he also indicates this does not mean she didn't drown. It just means those things are usually present. But he wasn't willing to make a call on it until he had more information too. So the autopsy literally gives nothing. It was ruled initially as a suspicious death. 
and no cause of death was going to be given by his department until the other tests came in. Mm -hmm. At this point, they were also waiting for toxicology, and that can take weeks to come back. So is this oh, a yes. high and profile? it does. It does. And it did here. It was a high profile case in the media and there's lots of pressure on the LAPD, but you can't rush doing things right. No. So some of these social media experts are calling into question then, was the LAPD involved in something nefarious because well, they aren't telling them what's going on? Just so you guys know, I just had a toxicology report that should have been pretty straightforward that took two months. Right. Just in our small town. So I yes. mean. And we're, and we're in LA. Right. And they just, yeah. I mean, think about the major crimes that are happening here. We live literally just had a cop killer serial killer right. a, a, you know yep. arrested the, the killed backlog. killed yeah. yeah so this brings us to four months after her body's found so there's still no top autopsy released to the public mm -hmm. and people wanted it yep i don't like that part no people wanting to know out of their own morbid curiosity people thinking they have the expertise to help and that right. just because there's a delay they that call they the lapd that, oh. They're yeah. being conspiracy. Suspicious. No, right. Yeah. They verbalized that because no one could get the file, the cops were hiding something. Right. Dude, it's an active police investigation. Exactly. I am not going to say that the LAPD isn't and hasn't been in the past corrupt and had bad things happen. Trust me, that ain't no hill I'm going to die on. Right. But this is an active police investigation, and I'm not seeing anything right now to indicate that the law enforcement has done anything right. wrong. Out of out of the usual, you yeah. got to understand the processes. We we know that there's bad police work that happens yep. too, and but I'll be honest, the the keyboard warriors here despite their good intentions very very much in irritated me mm -hmm. if it's not clear um <laughs> but in the same breath and in their defense uh, that i'm going to give them why didn't the police go near the tanks and why didn't the canine pick up the scent there other than what we've speculated already you mm -hmm. know the elements and such right so they began to speculate that someone involved in investigating the case might have either been involved in the murder bribed or a cover-up in collaboration with the hotel and why would the LAPD involved be involved? Remember we, that cop killer had just been killed. He was a former cop who turned on his own. There's not a lot of trust in the police right now at this sure. time frame. And we know that things can get hinky. Mm -hmm. I'm using law enforcement terminology. It. Hinky. It's hinky. When you go looking for something with the information that you've been provided, you can sometimes find a connection. Is it a synchronicity now? Is it a coincidence well, in my experience with the psychology of some conspiracy theorists, the ones who are real prevalent online, it does sometimes become really easy to start to pick spiders out of webs and make them match. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently there's this horror movie and there's this horror movie similarity. Some people think that the events from Elisa's, uh, Elisa's death compare to this film called Dark Water. So Dark Water, there's, if you look them up, there's a couple because there's a Japanese film as well, which brings in this Asian connection, but it's an American remake of a Japanese film by the same name, Dark Water, and it's based on a 1996 short story by Asian author Koji Suzuki, where a mother and daughter move into a rundown apartment building. In the American remake, which stars Jennifer Conley and John C. Riley, by the way, that's Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, I love John yes, C. Riley. Yes, I love. A mother and daughter find dark water leaking from their bedroom ceiling. They, oh. they discover that the apartment above them has flooded, mm -hmm. and the family that had previously lived there has disappeared. Then the whole movie's happening, and what they discover is the body of the little girl that used to live in the apartment above them was discovered. Um, it was discovered that her parents had actually abandoned her and she drowned after accidentally falling into the building's water tower. Mm. If the plot coincides with the theory, 
It would be that the LAPD were led to the roof after guests complained of dark water coming from their taps and an eerie scene in an elevator in the movie where the buttons malfunctioned so similarly to the video footage of Elisa Lamb's buttons. The comparisons are odd, but did cause some to believe that there could be some type of elaborate movie killer who recreated this by killing Elisa. Again, was it an elaborate movie-inspired copycat killer or coincidence or synchronicity? Right. Other coincidences and synchronicities, and I will let you decide. So there's this link to tuberculosis. Okay. Yeah, let me catch you right off guard. Strange, right? I thought we were going to the the bookstore name, but nope, we're at tuberculosis. We're going there too. Um, Well, there had been TB outbreaks in Skid Row area during the time Elisa was missing, Mm -hmm. specifically amongst the homeless. This led to a theory, a conspiracy theory in my opinion, but I'll let you decide, that the government was involved and was trying to eradicate the homeless. Dear God. Gentrification, let's kill off the homeless, let's get them out of here, and that they had actually been using Elisa to do it. Oh, my God. Listen, there'd been a TB outbreak at the hotel, and it did occur within days of her being missing while her body was in the tank. But the weirdest part was the name of the test that they give for TB because it's called the Lam Elisa test, and it is spelled exactly the same way as her name. What? L-A-M-E-L-I-S-A is the test that they give you for TB. Oh, it's a, that's a synchronicity. Her name in reverse. But I don't, but I agree. Conspiracy theory, but. People can take some pretty good jumps, including sure. she was a biological weapon by the government and was taken out. This mm-hmm. was compounded by, it gets weird, at the University of British Columbia where she was attending, they have a highly reputable TV research center. Wow. It's just bizarre in parallels. It really, really But let is. me debunk this a little. There was zero evidence that she had TB in the autopsy. But did she She have TB? She did not have TB, nor was she as a carrier in the autopsy. So no, it's just a synchronicity. And and actually, in spirituality, like you're you're supposed to look out for signs and synchronicities of your life to help guide your life. And if you start doing that, it really does help bring you into alignment of where you're supposed to be. And perhaps this was 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 foreshadowing for poor Miss Lamb of maybe what would what after her soul left this plane um when you would, are would seeking, come to fruition when you are seeking for answer to answers to mm-hmm. something that you can't solve even as a member of the public it is easy to look at things and think that they fit mm-hmm. they are synchronicities there are, are things that are just bizarre about this that are that are, are unexplained i also in the past have been a firm believer that there aren't isn't such a thing as coincidences if there's like more than two or three of right. them yeah no Mm-mm. um and finally the last bookstore the last place mm-hmm. she was the last bookstore in LA was ironically the final place Elisa was known to have had contact with anyone, but even weirder people research and find shit. Charnel. They do. The postcode in its domain is registered. It's registered to is V five G four S two theorists at work entered this code into Google maps and it pinpointed to none other than the exact spot where Elisa lamb went on to be buried. Whoa. So the last bookstore, her final resting place, just again, something in the universe Mm -hmm. happened there to lead her to that spot. Synchronicities. I know it. Is the Cecil Hotel evil and haunted? It draws in serial killers and suicides. Did something possess her? Was a spirit chasing her, Charnel? Was there a bad spirit chasing her? We know that places of crime and violence give off an energy to some. It would make sense that a place with so much suffering could be haunted. Mm Mm-hmm. 
How did she die? Most honestly of, of these conspiracy theorists or even of the, these internet investigators, they really want to just solve the unanswered questions. Yeah. And if she was murdered, then there's a murderer and who the hell is it? Mm-hmm. So keyboard detectives have enough, have had enough of waiting and a <laughs> virtual manhunt takes place. And it, basically anyone who's connected with the CISO hotel is going to be a suspect and off they go, off they run the internet sleuths. Certainly. And I would like to introduce you then to a person named Morbid. He is a musician. Is this, a, is this another synchronicity? It could be. A person named Morbid. Well, it is because listen to some of what's going to happen with Morbid. So his he's he's death metal. That's his art. And okay. he, he sings this um, screamo, death metal, dark, goth, killery. Mm-hmm. This is an artist who's obsessed with violence and death, and he has posted a shocking video. Okay. It is a young girl running for her life until she is murdered in his music video this allegedly appears allegedly just a couple of days after elise's death in terms of when it was posted and there's another video that's creepy to say the least where there is blood on his face and in his background are photographs of both ted bundy and elizabeth short the black dahlia who Mm. she the black dahlia had been reported to have been at the hotel okay yep um, then there were more videos found with song references to a deep cold ocean and a girl dying in water, as well as a song with a name referring to Asian heritage. Oh, was this a killer's calling card? Right. So this black metal musician, as some call him, I call it death metal, but I don't know. They call it, he calls himself black metal. Okay. Morbid being his stage name is saying all kinds of weird things online about embracing the monster within Lots of people begin to believe that he killed her. Mm-hmm. He had been staying at the hotel, uh, had videoed being there. You can see videos of him, like, I think he's like Lana laying in bed and saying, hey, I'm at the Cecil. And then he publishes these incriminating songs. At the same so, time that Lisa was Lisa No, was we're okay. going to get there, but that's what they think. Okay. So there's, because of when he posted the videos okay. so close to her death, All right. there was a call to action from online. Who was morbid? And people can find you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pablo Vergara. And once they found Mr. Vergara, he began to be legit online stalked by investigators. (laughs) He responds with a video, albeit a creepy one, which I will get to stating he was innocent. So in the meantime, they've pinpointed, they being online sleuths, Pablo Vergara, morbid. The initial autopsy is complete. The cause of death is inconclusive and is requiring more tests. Dr. Tovars, the fr- I'm just putting in perspective what's happening here. The forensic pathologist still doesn't know whether there's foul play, suicide, or an accidental death. But we do get the toxicology results. And there is zero evidence of illegal drug use mm-hmm. or alcohol use. Mm-hmm. So they go to her history as one should. And here's where we get brand new information. <laughs> brand new they found uh, at this point, well, they were aware of her history of bi- bipolar and depression. Sure. There was also no evidence from her tox screen that she'd overdosed yep. on her prescriptions. Yep. They did find some positive screens for her meds, but found something interesting and very concerning, Charnel. Her doses were low. Too low. Oh, okay. And there were more pills than should have been in the bottles 
from okay. the prescriptions taken into evidence. So she's not taking them as prescribed. She wasn't taking her medications okay. as prescribed. And in fact, they don't believe that she had been taking them at all. So what had, after she got there. Okay. So what had happened in the days, what had happened in the days leading up to her vanishing in her mind, in her life, this is an introspective and bright young woman who bears her soul in her Tumblr posts. She talks openly about her chemical imbalance and that she wishes someone around her would understand these mood st- instabilities, the highs and the lows with it, they can lead, uh, per, uh, per psychiatric opinion, to risk-taking um, type behavior, among other things. In terms of treatment, cognitive behavioral therapy and medication work best for this type of diagnosis. She, and in other words, sometimes we would do illogical things that to the outside world doesn't seem logical, but yes. to the inside mind might seem logical. Yes. She had expressed before on the line that she didn't like taking her four prescriptions. She was on a mood stabilizer, uh, two antidepressants, and an antipsychotic medication. Mm-hmm. She wanted to Which feel normal. Typical. It is, yep. yep. She wanted to feel normal, and embarking on this adventure on her own to Cali was supposed to make her feel normal. So she planned her travels again to San Diego and makes her way up the coast. On January 28th, when she arrives in L.A., she checks in and explores, and her toxicology report would indicate that appears to be the approximate moment that she stopped taking her medications. Okay. So her risk of having a bipolar episode will have increased. Mm -hmm. Then we find out some more. Things that the police knew but hadn't disclosed, and why would they? Right. She did go to Burbank, and this is where they do live screenings, live studio audience productions in Burbank, California. Mm Mm-hmm. And when she went to go to this live audience production, she was acting very erratically and strangely. And apparently while she's there, writes a bizarre letter demanding that it go to the show host of the show she's about to watch. It was so concerning, they kicked her off the property because they thought she was a risk and she never got to see the show. Okay. So she's decompensated. Yep. And remember the girls that she was staying with, the short-term roommates? Yes, and they complained about her behavior. Well, apparently what she was doing was writing these weird notes and leaving them on their beds. Yep. And also on the door and other people's doors, telling people to go home or else and saying other strange and, and some undisclosed things. Like, we don't know what all the notes said. Yeah. Also, so, not on the paranoid... Um, the writing letter doomsday letters things like that very common so in response to the complaining guests the two girls the hotel employees just relocate her to a private room to solve the problem then we find out at one point that evening or shortly before she had um or shortly before the elevator she had gone into the lobby and this is when i wonder if she didn't have some contact in the place where she wasn't supposed to be it never indicates what she is observed gesturing erratically and states, I'm crazy, but so is L.A. And the Ooh, general yeah. manager says. And so's the energy of L.A. that and, I'm taking in without my meds. And the general manager says, well, this is the Cecil. Right. So obviously this shit's not new to the staff. So no. no, it wasn't reported. Why would it have been really? No. They're right. on skid row. This is probably a normal occurrence. Right. Also probably not even in the top, you know, no. 1,000 of weird occurrences. I wouldn't that think so with no. people screaming and being shot. Probably and not even in that day. Su- bodies falling out of windows, suicides. No. It wasn't even probably in the top 10 of the weird shit that had happened that day. Agreed. So more weight is now going to her compromised mental state. Yeah. Was she suicidal? Or in a vulnerable position for being preyed upon. Yeah, that right there. Investigators tried to retrace her steps. She would have had to walk. When you look at these four tanks, Charnel, Uh and they are 10 feet off the ground, in order to get to the one that she went to, she either would have had to have walked on 
a pipe connecting them that's, mm. again, 10 feet off the ground or climbed that 10-foot ladder to get up. Mm-hmm. If she had been killed and brought there by a murderer or a conspirac- conspirator, it would have been unlikely that the body could have been carried or placed there without damage to the body. Okay. There would have been external evidence of somebody being held onto, gripped. There's, there's zero physical evidence of that. No bruises, nothing to indicate that she was placed there or murdered there. What if it was a broad-shouldered man and she was just over, like like a sack of potatoes over his shoulders? They believe that, uh, especially post-mortem, there would have been marks left or something indicating some type of outside trauma to her. So there's just no evidence of any damage to her externally. Drowning victims are usually found face down. Uh She was found face up. Uh So this is different. And could be, according to the medical examiner, evidence of foul play. But this is a different situation where because there's a continual flux in the water per the forensics where people are using it, so the oh tank right. is going up it's and down. going up and down. It's going to f- roll her she around. She could have flipped and rolled around. Absolutely. So there's still no criminal reason for her death or any injuries at all that would indicate that she was murdered at this point to the medical examiners. The report was then generated, and this is what people are waiting for. On June 21st of 2013, it was ruled that Elisa Lamb died from an accident due to drowning and labeled her bipolar as a contributing factor. Okay. This did not go over well. I bet not. It doesn't feel good. Online peeps uh, disagreed with the coroner. Mm -hmm. There was a rape kit done. There was no evidence of sexual assault, but people still questioned why she would be naked. Right. And what if someone let her there at gunpoint and never touched her and made her get in? Correct. Online experts, <laughs> a.k.a. YouTubers, I don't like this either. Well, apparently they look at the autopsy report, <laughs> which makes them experts, right? Okay. Well, they've seen they've seen. I, mean, lots, I look at a lot of them. They've I'm seen lots of autopsy reports before, and they don't like how it looks. Okay. It does look like at some point the box marked undetermined was originally marked, and then it was changed to accident. So then they start speculating. Why was it changed? Was the LAPD pulling strings in the coroner's department? You know, department? you can do addendums to. We're gonna get there. These reports. <laughs> was it an easy way out to close the case? Did someone Amid have something pressure? to hide? Mm-hmm. So many people apparently have requested a copy of the police report, and no one had received it at that point. Well, active investigation, y'all. Um, right. This is when they began to speculate online that the hotel staff, the general manager of the hotel, and the LAPD, and the coroner are all involved in a conspiracy. Oh, that's a lot of people to get on board <sighs> for one girl. Pablo Vergara, the artist Morbid, who was accused of murdering her online, was interviewed. On February 25th of 2013, which was six days after the body was found, he opened his messages and found that his friend sent him a message and said, What did you do? Oh, God. He then looks at this link that she's attached that takes him to a Taiwanese channel where he saw his picture and a reporter stating he was the murder suspect of Elisa Lam. Oh, my God. Suddenly, he's getting hundreds of messages threatening him, telling him he murdered her and that they would get him. He said he had never heard of Elisa Lam before. The PGR, which is like the FBI in Mexico, had come to him and asked him about whether he was making sacrifices, most likely as a result of some of his videos where they were quite bloody. But that's the only thing he was ever investigated for, and he was never arrested for anything. This is where I tell you from a spiritual, an energetic perspective, what you put out comes back to you. So be careful, guys. Listen, you're going to feel even more strongly about that. 
Then he finds out he's being accused from a video that he posted when he was at the Cecil in 2012 for oh. three days, a year prior to oh, Elisa being yeah. there. Yeah. He, yeah. he had released the videos close to her death, which is what drew his attention in, but he hadn't been at the Cecil. He was in Mexico working on his album. Mm-hmm. He says the web sleuths were simply triggered by his death and murder music. Mm-hmm. It's his art and it doesn't make him a killer. So. Right. He makes this video that I talked about where he's defending himself, stating that he's innocent and did not kill her. But the video is creepy because he wears this weird mask and he has an altered voice thing mm-hmm. when he's saying it. Okay, so that doesn't help anything. It's can him as a person, as an artist. For sure. And can I just, I think this is a good time to talk about, I've been making notes on my phone while we were talking. Because uh-huh. you, everyone, not just you, but like we're drawing to, is this place evil? Is this, you know, what's going on? to that too, but yeah. Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about how energy works. So... People don't really know this about me, but I am an, I'm an energy worker. So I do help part of my therapeutic practices for people is to help them move energy right. that's blocked in their body. You, you watched me do it with your computer before we got yes. started. Um, so <laughs> blow on it. Yes. And so I don't say that to creep people out or to be weird. I, I just step back for a second and don't judge energy as good or bad. Think of it as a vibration. So like when we're tuning into a radio station, when you're tuning into this podcast, you're on a wavelength, you're on a vibration to be able to hear the sounds, okay? Everything is energy. So the Cecil Hotel, the energy that has has lived there has been very low vibrational energy that we tend to judge as either good or, you know, bad and evil, right? Those are the labels as humans. Me, I just walk in and go, oh, I don't don't like how this feels because it's, it's low vibrational, meaning it's denser, it's heavier because dark, dark, dense, heavy no-nos have happened there. So it doesn't surprise me that people are drawn people that tend to put out that low vibrational energy. It's an energetic match for them, right? Right. So they're drawn to it. That's where they're comfortable. And that's why all of these same circles and patterns of behavior keep happening because they're on the same wavelength energetically. That makes sense. Yes. And so it's not surprising to me that then someone like Morbid, okay, who he's operating his vibe is that low vibrational, again, as humans, it's his, we, art. it's his art. And we tend to, as humans, to put labels as either evil or, or good or evil, right? Yeah, Everything is always good He's or saying evil. it's not evil. Correct. It's his frequency. Right. But that, and, and truly it is. It's just, we, we tend to, to judge things that way. So I'm not surprised that this energetic match happened and he got drawn in yes. energetically to this. What you're saying now, listen to what happens next. Okay. Because he... After he makes this video, his accounts get flagged because of all the people online. And um, basically, they terminate all of his accounts. His career is pretty much destroyed at this point. There's false accusations and death threats. He has a fucking nervous breakdown from the online accusations. He's not able to defend his life, his music, his art. And Vergara says he went to a bad place and he attempted suicide. Yeah, that does not surprise me. Did you feel it coming? Yeah, absolutely. He ended up (laughs) in a psychiatric hospital after that. And he no longer practices his art. Mm -hmm. He's got to change his vibe now because of all that was drawn back because of all this. Like it's, it, it does make complete energetic sense too. trying to help solve these crimes. The internet sleuths 
it easily can become vigilante justice even online. Absolutely. And you have to be careful of what you're doing, what your energy is yes. doing to other people. Law enforcement even said they knew this. Yeah. They knew that he was being accused, but the only thing they could respond was is he's not involved. Yes. So when social media detectives contact the PD, they say he's not involved. They're like, it nope, we won't believe it. We're going to trust them even more. Because oh. it was a conspiracy. Yep, yep. It just, oh, it pisses guys. me off, Charnel. Whether we like that Morbid operated at that frequency or not, people get farther away from evidence and start jumping to conclusions. Yep. And they destroyed somebody's life. Yes, exactly. From another country. Destroyed this, this Mexican death metal singer's life. Yep. And there's a market for what he does. Not okay. People like to operate there. Yes, And exactly. I have no judgment because for them, a, to them on that. No, he's a vibrational man match for other people like what again what we put out comes back to us so those are the people he's drawing drawing to himself those are his vibe that's okay like that's not for us to judge just because it's not our vibe it's not so the internet detectives obviously don't have all the facts and admittedly they did come up with some really good information in this case but you have to take it for what it's worth okay first of all think about if there was truly a murder is anything they come up with actually admissible in court if you don't go through the right steps cuz I can assure you it's not mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. this, if these YouTubers come on to testify in court and they're not going to be qualified as experts in my court. No, never. I'm oh, not, God, I'm not putting would... myself out there to meet some type of Daubert standard. No. Somebody have some better, have some really good background for me to take that for what it's worth. Absolutely. And just do YouTubing on the side. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Elisa's sister did disclose to law enforcement, not to, not to online sleuths. Right. That Elisa did have a history of not taking her medication. Yeah, okay. That she had had breakdowns in the past and that she had, in fact, become delusional before. Mm-hmm. Seeing things that weren't there or at least that weren't physically present for those of us on that wavelength. Yes. Okay. Uh, a lot of people, and this is just me inserting my own si- insight into this, is that... Um, the individuals who are having a psychotic break and see people or hear voices, the worst thing you can do is tell them that they're not there because they freaking are. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they Mm -hmm. could be seeing something that we aren't privy to, but they're operating in a diminished capacity psychologically at that point. Yep. So in hindsight, knowing she had been hospitalized once before, what her diagnosis actually was, was bipolar one, which is the most concerning form that does have symptoms of um, psychotic behavior, disorganized thinking, and even trouble separating fantasy from reality. Yes. So the behavior that she's exhibited in the hotel, the roommate's complaints, what she did in the lobby, the TV taping in Burbank, all coupled with her behavior in the elevator, do show, at least from what her family believes as well, evidence that she had had another one of her psychotic breaks. Sure. The delusions of paranoia and persecution and hallucinations do appear possible from a psychiatrist expert's observations of the elevator video. Mm-hmm. What that expert believes they are seeing is somebody who is having some type of a, a paranoid psychotic break. Mm-hmm. The voices she could have been hearing or responding to visibly, which I think she was yes. from seeing that, Yep, agreed. They could have been telling her to do bad things, Mm -hmm. running from something that she saw in her mind. She probably felt that there was no place safe for her, and she was trying to save herself in this hotel. If she made it to the roof, thought someone was chasing her, following her, or there were spirits that were, could she have climbed the ladder, opened the hatch, and jumped in? 
if she was trapped in there hiding and it was filled with water, could she have pulled herself out if the water was being used in the hotel? We know that's a no because the levels would have dropped. She would have been trapped, Mm -hmm. floating to stay alive. She could have undressed for two potential reasons, according to the coroner. One, to being to keep from being weighed down, mm-hmm. or two, hypothermia, mm-hmm. which and causes paradoxal. Yep, paradoxal yeah, uh, heat. It physical that physiological change where you disrobe because you feel like you're so hot. Yep. They truly believe her family and law enforcement as well that the real sad end is that she drowned. Mm-hmm. And there's no conclusive evidence of foul play. There never has been in this case, or even an intent to commit suicide. This, they believe, was an accidental drowning. She was trying to get away from something that she was seeing. Mm-hmm. Whether it was real or not real, I will let you all be the deciders of, and it could be a combination of both, but that she truly drowned, that she didn't want to die that day. Right. The coroner right. did admit that there was a change on the autopsy report, and to clarify that conspiracy theory uh, argument, he said, well, I'm a human, and there mm-hmm. was an error, and it was corrected, and if you look at it, it, you do see it looks like there was a correction and even potentially an initial change. Oh, and yeah. this happens. Like, and you can just initial. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But this hotel and its history, I mean, Chanel, what did she see? What spirits was she seeing or talking to? Think of all the people mm-hmm. that have died there. And I'm going to tell you about some of them because I can't leave the spook factor of October out of this. Of course not. The video is what bothers me the most because there are some things kind of left unanswered-ish, or at least without a conclusive response from law enforcement, okay, was something withheld. The time coding and the slowed speed that individuals online believe to have occurred. Well, the LAPD insists that no one from the hotel edited the video. Mm -hmm. They got what they got. And it's potentially, this detective does say, and he doesn't conclude, but he says, it could have been slowed down so the public could see her better or change the timestamp so that it hid the exact time specific information so that not all that was released to the public. For that, right. That's For all investigative he would, purposes. That's all he would confirm. Mm-hmm. Basically releasing the mim- minimum amount of info necessary to the public. Yes. And the detective firmly believes that Elisa was in those tanks when they searched the roof and that they truly missed her and that there's no conspiracy and he has shown genuine emotion at that miss. Mm-hmm. You fail in your career sometimes to look for something and I think he honestly is like, son of a bitch, right. if I just looked in the tanks. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. The Lamb family has a restaurant in Vancouver still where they have set up a memorial and Elisa Lamb's parents did file suit against the hotel for wrongful death with the accidental drowning. The Lamb family identified the risk on the roof and that there should have been precautions. The hotel says the doors were posted, but not locked, and that Mm -hmm. the outside fire escapes had to be accessible to everyone for escape purposes. Apparently, by the way, now there are locks on the water tank lids. Well, that was going to be my next question. Speaking of the lids, let's talk about lids. Yes, please. Santiago Lopez, our maintenance man, says the hatch on the tank when he discovered her body in there was open. It was never closed. Oh. It completely changes the thought that she was shut in. Yeah. Eliminating the potential that someone dumped her and closed it behind her. Okay. Yep. Here, Lopez did report this. There was a communication breakdown. The detective admits this. And one of the officers on the scene, probably one that wasn't supposed to be talking, did say something to the media about a lid being shut 
or made a oh. comment that he had opened it, he being the person that found her and saw her in there, which the media then took off with to believe that the lid was shut is and there, she'd been trapped in there. Is there a language barrier between Mr. He, Lopez? Mr. Lopez does have a very strong Spanish accent and there was interpretive words at the bottom. At one point he was actually speaking in Spanish on, oh. the, on the interview. Okay, because I could see how that could very easily get mis. And people play these human games of telephone and Mm -hmm. the real physical evidence, by the way, is there in a report and confirmed by the actual witness making the statement. So what we know is that he did say that he saw her, that the door was, that the door to the tank was open. That is actually went into the police report. And then he verified it himself verbally in the interview and would have in court as well had it gone that far. Mm -hmm. This stuff happens constantly. So there is a lot of criticism regarding whether the hotel could have done more. Noticing a person was in mental distress. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's hard given where it's located. And that's what I said. And that's what she insists. How much they see she's of this. Not super likable. Again, I'm going to tell you if you watch this, no, and I highly right. recommend it. She's not the most likable person, in my opinion. She just gives me an energy that I don't love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's because she's defensive. She's on the defense. Yeah. Um, she's they're on skid row this stuff happens constantly and she said if the police even respond to us calling saying some girl came to the lobby and said i'm crazy but so is la the hotel they were successful in the lawsuit the family the family didn't win that doesn't surprise Um, me there was no foul play found into the case but that it was simply a tragedy so why are there so many tragedies at this hotel is it the location is there just bad fucking energy yes People want to jump to the low vibrational energy guys. Yeah. People want to jump to a killer at a homicide, but the reality is in this case, there was an accident. Mm -hmm. Well, in paranormal circles, there are no accidents and there's so many bizarre parallels. But again, can you make a real parallel when you get so deep that you lose perspective? Like the, TB test name. Well, exactly. This right. is how we get led down rabbit holes of conspiracy theorists. And again, go online and look at how a legit conspiracy theorist in this climate clings to the own math that they've created. You can make two plus two equal four if you pulled the two out of your pocket. Like yeah. you, you yeah. can see things. January 1st of 2017, the Cecil's doors closed. It was okay. sold to a group in New York and it is worth apparently like $80 million now. Half of it is supposed to be a luxury hotel and the other half low-income housing. The question will be for the future, does the Cecil have a chance with her haunted and tragic history to ever outlive her past and rejoin, uh, and join a reimagined L.A.? Think about moving over 10,000 10, homeless people from the streets of Skid Row, many of whom have the same mental illness that Elisa Lamb did but right. without the support. Right. This is a hotel surrounded in a history of murder and death. It is rumored to be incredibly haunted by the spirits of its victims and even famous perpetrators. Mm-hmm. We don't know what Elisa Lamb saw that night in mm-hmm. 2013, but we know that whatever it was, whatever she saw, did lead to her death. Mm-hmm. I believe she was hiding. Yeah, yeah. The hotel will always be a part of pop culture. As recently as the show American Horror Story Hotel, sat in a hotel with a reputation similar to the Cecil. And the creator of that show, Ryan Murphy, even noted that the elevator footage that he saw of Elisa Lam inspired that show. So we'll let the listeners decide, but I want you to consider this when deciding. I want to give you the haunted history of the Cecil. Mm-hmm. Here's a timeline of incidences. This was taken from Wikipedia, and I did verify it. On November 19th in 1931 is the person I spoke of before, W.K. Norton, who was 46. It was listed as possible suicide by poison ingestion. 
Manhattan Beach resident WK, murder. W.K. Norton was found dead in his room after ingesting poison capsules. A week prior, he had checked into the Cecil under the name James Willis from Chicago. Oh. Okay. Yeah. December 1932, or September 1932, roughly a year later. Benjamin Dodich, 25, suicide, gunshot to the head. A maid found Dodich dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. He did not leave a suicide note. July 26th, 1934, Sergeant Louis D. Borden, 53, suicide, slit throat. In late July, former Army Medical Corps Sergeant Borden was found dead in his room at the Cecil. He had slashed his throat with a razor. Mm-mm. Borden left several notes, one of which cited poor health as the reason for his suicide. Mm. March 1937, Grace E. Magro, 25, death, fell from building. Magro fell from a ninth-story window. Her fall was broken by telephone wires, which were wrapped around her body. Oh, God. She later died at the now-demolished Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. Police were unable to determine whether her death was a result of an accident or suicide. Sure. Or something else. Right. May 1939, Irwin C. Neblet, 39, possible suicide, ingested poison, Navy officer. Neblet was found dead in his room after ingesting poison. That's all it says. Oh. January 1940, Dorothy Seeger, 25, suicide, ingested poison. Teacher Seeger, who registered under the pseudonym, she didn't want people to know she was there, Evelyn Brent, ingested poison on January 10th, 1940, while staying at the Cecil and was reported by the Los Angeles Times to be quote-unquote near death. Beforehand, Seeger sent her relatives a note indicating she was going to end her life. Dorothy eventually succumbed to the effects of the poisoning and died at General (laughs) Hospital on January 12th, 1940. Why is all this stuff happening in January? Uh, And September. I have a lot of fall ones Mm. in here as well. And it's are people literally booking this hotel just to die? Right. It's a tall right, hotel yeah. in L.A., and, and do they just like come there to seasonal die? Seasonal depression. It's, it's hotel death. September 1944, Dorothy Jean Purcell, 19. Huge, huge trigger alert. Okay. Purcell's unnamed newborn son, newborn, mm. murder. She was acquitted due to insanity. Newborn discarded from window. Oh. Purcell was sharing a room at the Cecil with her boyfriend, shoe salesman Ben Levine, 38. Purcell, who had apparently been unaware she was pregnant, went into labor. Oh, God. She later testified that she did not want to disrupt the sleeping Levine, so she went to the bathroom where she gave birth to a baby boy, thinking the baby was dead. She threw him out the window, and he landed on the roof of an adjacent building. She was charged with murder. Three psychiatrists testified that she was mentally confused at the time of the incident, and in January 1945, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Ugh. November, uh, the juju, the juju, uh, it's getting worse. I was worse. just going to say, boy, that energy, that's bad. November that's 1947, uh, Robert Smith, 35, suicide, fell from building. Smith died after jumping from one of the Cecil's seventh floor windows. October 22, 1954, Helen Gurney, 55, suicide, fell from building. Gurney, a San Francisco stationary firm employee, jumped from the window of her seventh floor room and landed on top of the Cecil's marquee. Uh-huh. The sign. One week prior, she had registered at the hotel, also under pseudonym Margaret Brown. People went here to not be found, Charnel. Yeah. February 11th, 1962, Julia Frances Moore, 50, suicide fell from building. Moore jumped from the window of her eighth floor room and landed in a second story interior light well. She did not leave a suicide note. 
Among her possessions were a bus ticket from St. Louis, 59 cents in change, and an Illinois bank book showing that she had a balance of $1,800 left, which is good for the time. Yeah. October 12th, 1962. This is Pauline Otten, 27, and poor George Giannini, 65. Suicide fell from building. Otten jumped from the window of her ninth floor room after an argument with her estranged husband, Dewey. Oh, no, mm-hmm. I don't like that. I don't like either. that at all. I don't like the suicide call. Jump. He had left the room, according to <laughs> to witnesses, prior to Otten's suicide, so maybe it was. Oh. Otten landed on a pedestrian Giannini, killing them both instantly. As there were no witnesses, police initially thought Otten and Giannini committed suicide together. Oh, no. Yes. However, it was soon determined that Giannini had his hands in his pockets at the time of his death. Oh, he's just strolling. It's so sad. And he was still wearing shoes. Had he jumped, his shoes would have likely fallen off during the fall or upon impact, and his hands would not have been in his pocket. No. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm terrified to walk by buildings. Look up. Uh, June 4th, 1964, Jacques Elinger, 29. This is the, okay, so Pigeon Goldie Osgood, 65, um, he was charged with murder but acquitted, and she died, of course. Goldie was stabbed, beaten, and raped. She was a hotel, uh, I'm sorry, a hotel worker discovered Osgood, who was a retired telephone operator, dead in her room. She had been raped, stabbed, and beaten, and her room was ransacked. Osgood was well known in the area, and she earned her nickname Pigeon Goldie because she fed birds in the nearby Pershing Square. Like every day, she was the pigeon lady. Stop. Near it. her body was the Los Angeles Dodgers cap she always wore and a paper sack full of bird seed. Uh-huh. Hours after her murder, brutal murder, Elinger was seen walking through Pershing Square in bloodstained clothing. He was arrested and charged with Osgood's murder, but was later cleared of the crime her murder remains unsolved no pigeon goldie Pigeon Goldie. december 20th 1975 allison lowell approximately 23 death fell from building a still and allison lowell's in quotes a still unidentified woman jumped from her 12th floor window onto the cecil's second floor roof she had registered at the hotel on december 16th on, under the name allison lowell and was staying in room 327 but they That's do not believe that was her name, and yeah. she's never been identified. <gasps> That's so, terrible. So that was 75. September 1st, 1992, this one just says un- it's unknown. Approximately ages 20 to 30, death fell from building. The Can body we hammer these windows shut, please? Na- right. The body of an African-American man was found in the alley behind the Cecil. Police said he had either fallen, jumped, or been pushed. From the hotel's 15th floor. But we have no way of knowing which category. Because the 20 to 30 year old male has never been identified. Wow. And it is hard to solve crimes when you don't know who the person For is. For sure. You have no leads, yeah, to start anywhere. Here's Elisa Lambs. She died February 19th of 2013. Um, they, uh, I'm just going to read it again, even though you know what it says. But it says, The naked body of Lamb, a Canadian student, was found inside one of the water supply tanks on the hotel roof. She had gone missing almost three weeks earlier on January 31st of 13. Her decomposing body was discovered by a maintenance worker in one of the rooftop water tanks after guests complained of low water pressure and water that tasted funny. Video surveillance footage taken from inside the elevator shortly before her disappearance showed her acting strangely, pressing multiple elevator buttons, hiding in the corner of the elevator, and waving her arms erratically, causing widespread speculation about the cause of her death. 
After the elevator video was released, many theories rose about Lamb's death. She was reported to have had bipolar disorder, for which she was prescribed various medications, which could have contributed to her death, as well as her strange behavior. Authorities did later rule Lamb's death as an accidental drowning. And there has been a death since. I was going to ask. Okay. June 13th, 2015. Unknown name, 28. Suspected to have fallen from building. The body of a 28-year-old man was found outside the hotel. Some conjectured he may have committed suicide by jumping from the hotel, although a spokesperson for the county coroner informed the Los Angeles Times that the cause of death was yet undetermined. This man remains identified. Wow. My sources for this are uh, the Netflix special I named earlier. Um, there was a small article in All Things Interesting, a Marie Claire article, and of course Wikipedia, which I fact-checked for the list of deaths. And that is the story of the haunted Cecil Hotel. Two hours of Two it for your listening pleasure. Bonus content. Yes, fabulous job, my friend. I have a few closing remarks. I figured you would. Um, so in terms when we're talking like energetic terms and mental illness so like for miss lamb um there are people that are completely sane do not suffer from mental illness can can vouch for that can see energies feel energies see spirits feel spirits that sort of thing not a mental illness this is how i die when you're oh my god you guys should see her wrapped (laughs) up in her laptop cord with her headphone cord it was nearly by your throat I don't know what's happening right now. I hope you keep a jackknife near you for I, when I do strangle myself. Right, in this I'll course. be ready. I'll, I okay. will bite you free if I have to. Chew, very chew, sharp. Chew through the cords. Yep, very sharp teeth. I apologize. But um, so I just wanted to kind of give some some information here. So, like when someone is suffering from a uh, a psychotic episode. Yes. All right. The things that they see, those are not the same. Okay, that is a human brain, chemical imbalance experience, hallucination experiences that are happening. Those are completely separate from an actual soul energetic um, legitimate spirit that you're seeing. The two don't intertwine. Okay. With a psychotic break. But Mm -hmm. what if an individual who has some type of a mental illness or or who has compromised or opened different synapses than maybe a quote-unquote normal person operates with has the ability to be more open in terms of seeing things like spirits or different wavelengths i am not one right right correct Mm -hmm. so but what i mean it just brings the what ifs up and i was reporting to you what people were speculating like there are paranormal investigators who feel like she got blamed for having a psychotic break, but there mm-hmm. was still medication in her system. Mm-hmm. It indicates she stopped using it, but how did they know that's mm-hmm. what it was? Was something actually a, a murderous spirit chasing her? Again, these are things people consider, and this is horror, and this is October. Mm-hmm. Do I think it's more likely than not she had a psychotic break and saw and heard things that weren't real? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes, absolutely. But you have to admit that the bad juju here and the bad energy is that a trigger for somebody who has a mental illness who stopped taking their meds, that that bad energy in and of itself? I would say what my theory was going to be was that the heavy, dark, dense energy of the place did make her not, she wanted, she's vibing with that, which would make her not take her medication. Okay. Which would then lead to a lot of the things the experts testified about, about, or, you know, not testified, but said about how, what can happen when she's not taking her energy or or her energy, excuse me, her medications. So, um, I, without getting into too much detail, 
Um, read, if you guys are curious about any of this, uh, Dr. Michael Newton has dedicated his life's research to um, regressing people back to when they were souls and talking about the soul. That's a thing? It is. It absolutely is. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to do it. Yes, I'm doing it in <laughs> I December. figured you yes, would, but I'm not going to. But I'm also... You tell me how that works out first. Well, I'm going to add it to my list of my my list of energy work that I do is be able to... Oh, well, um, that makes sense to do for you, like then. hypnotherapy, things like that. Yep, yep, yep. So, but anyway, what um, he has found through his, you know, 40 years of research is that when he regresses people back to their past lives and in between lives when they were just a soul, they talk about um, what souls do, like why a soul wouldn't leave the the earth. Okay. And it's because they hold on to their very human things like grief, shame, um, fear. Okay. Fear of crossing over and having to face like going through their life review and things that they did in this life, things like that. And so that energy stays around. That, that makes, that, yep, that makes that, sense. That energy can hang around and um, you, you can be sensitive to that. And so although I don't think that there are evil spirits that are from a spiritual perspective, there are human brains. Oh, sorry. The dogs want to talk right now. They love us. There are human brains that are more susceptible to feeling that energy, taking that energy. <laughs> oh, my God. Why will they not stop talking? And, um, and then manifesting it fearfully into their, into their brain. Do I, I absolutely, without having Miss Lamb on my left side, sitting right next to me, sending vibrations of what she was being chased by, right? we can only speculate, but I a hundred percent believe that she was in her mind and fearful of something and saw something and was chased and had absolutely no idea that what she was experiencing was not real. I was trying to find just now the videos and they're there. I'll have to figure out how to send it to you um, so that, or you can find it and, uh, and, and post it. You, you need to see, I think that oh, a I've lot seen of the video. Yeah. Okay. Uh, our, our listeners, listeners need, need to, to see mm-hmm. because that I think will help them make a decision about yep. a lot of the things that you just said yep. to help them reconcile yep. now that you have the pieces put in place. Right. But I did, I did just want to clarify that, um, you know, in terms of what you were asking, like, don't you think that someone who is having um, a human psychological experience mm-hmm. could be more susceptible to energy? Yes. And what happens then is that their human brain, not their soul, their human brain completely manifests it fearfully into a, a big scary monster or this man is chasing My me human or brain things fucks like me that. all the time. We always do until you learn how to bypass. Our human brain keeps us in a state of fear because it's trying to keep us small and safe. Okay, because back in caveman days, days before we were more evolved, oh, yeah. we fight, needed that. Flight or fright. Yes, right? But once you learn how to overcome those human aspects of yourself and realize, oh my gosh, wait, I just manifest. How many times have you in your life actually thought of a scenario, exaggerated in your head of this is exactly how this is going to go down. I just know that woman, when I bring this up to her, she's going to be pissed at me. And you go into that and you literally manifest that. You manifest that conversation because you had already thought about it and exaggerated it in your head and triggered those, you know, 
well, put that vibration out there, you really. And so then you go into it already thinking with a little bit of your feathers cocked, right? Because you're like, I know she's going to be a bitch when I try to tell her about this. And then that woman's picking up on your vibe and is like, why is she coming at me like a bitch? So exactly. I'm going to come at her like a bitch, right? It's all energy. It's all vibration. And so our, but our brain tends to be unrealistic like that and will keep us in fear. And so, yes, when you're having a psychotic break, you're even more susceptible to your brain manifesting things into complete chaos. It is. And to keep you in that fear state. And in her case, just so tragically, Absolutely. Charnel. You have to bathe us. My phone's yes. doing its um update. Is it? I have I have <laughs> clicked five times now, like to remind me later to do its update, and it just decided now is the perfect time now to update. Now is the time. So okay, I, I have zero access let's, to something funny. Let's thank um Patreon Brian for sending us. He said I tried to send this to Messenger, but it wouldn't pull up the Fred. Yeah, thread Brian, it probably reason. red flagged it for something super inappropriate based off of the half of the for stuff sure. that you said. For sure. Which we love. We do, <laughs> we sure do. So this is a funny headline that this is the quote. Um, I happen to know everything there is to know about maple syrup. And then the actual that's her quote of this lovely woman in a mugshot. Oh. She looks like Granny. Like yeah. Granny D is like just I'd in buy this. syrup mm-hmm. from her. Yep. And the headline says, deputies arrest woman accused of crashing wedding weddings in three states. Well, okay. this grandma just crashes weddings, huh? That's all she does. Yep. And that's her quote? Apparently, Miss Hansen has been arrested in Alabama, Tennessee, and Mississippi for crashing weddings. <laughs> Hansen is also accused of stealing money and cards from purse. Oh, from purses while attending those weddings. That's, that's why that's she is. Yes. She's that like the why. couple, the old couple from Kellerman's on Dirty Dancing that goes to the hotels and steals people's wallets. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, she is. It's an 80s movie parallel. Um, Okay. Um, I'm trying to read. Sandra Lynn Henson was arrested at a wedding event over the weekend. This was like October 4th. Mississippi authorities didn't immediately specify what happened at the wedding, but said she was facing charges that included larceny, trespassing, and disturbing the peace. The sheriff's department said this was not the first time that she had found herself in trouble with local with local law regarding weddings. So, yeah, that's where she had been uh, arrested in three different states for doing so and for stealing money and cards. And I've got to be honest, I don't know where the why the quote was in there about the knowing everything about um, I like what is going on. I. I People don't know. say bizarre things. When well, I wonder in. if that was what her backstory was because in Brian's email, he's like, she's really got to work on her backstory. <laughs> um, but it's not, as you can see, I'm scrolling through and it's just like ads. Like, give me more of the story, but there is no more. So I apologize. But this woman does not look like a woman who would, cr- she is trying to blend in. She is wearing a cardigan. People. I would expect that she would have been invited to a wedding if I saw her. It's yes. one of those situations where you're the bride and you're like, oh, must be the groom's side. Exactly. And you're in the groom. You're like, must be, must the, be bride the bride side. side. No one is going to question. She's got to be in her 60s. She's, at least she upper 60s. She doesn't look intimidating at, at all mm-hmm. or nefarious in any way. No one is going to question why, you know, this is great aunt Dolores yes. or somebody like that is at the wedding until they see her stealing the cards from the bride and groom exactly. and or out of the purses. purses. I'm just getting a dollar for the dollar dance out of here in your purse. But it's kind of <laughs> genius too. It right, is. right. I just thought I'd borrow a dollar. Genius. I thought I'd borrow a dollar. Oh my gosh. Um, so I'm not sure what the, but you can see where it says, I know everything 
everything there is to know about maple syrup. It makes no sense. And it doesn't. It's the it's the under it though. Somebody writes, I, I like lo- waffles. <laughs> Somebody did post I like waffles underneath <laughs> it. Like, what does that have to do with anything? And I can't find the rest. I think that's the end of the article. So I'm not sure oh, what happened. Go. Brian, did you send us a broken link? Just the bizarreness What's happening? of it. He may have to follow up with us. Okay. And he'll be like, dude, that is not what I sent you. I've done that before. I've seen something on Facebook and I've shared it, but then for some reason it doesn't take you to the funny video. It takes you to something else. Yeah. And I'm like, sometimes when you you send me TikToks, it's not the TikTok that you meant to send. I don't send TikToks, so that's not me. It's, well, Brain Bath Jason, our group, will send our. And then you click on it and Mm -hmm. you're like, this is for erectile dysfunction. Right. I think this was for your private. Yeah, this is your private. Well, you know, it does read the things that you look up. It does algorithms they'll get you every time well patrons thank you for sticking around with us for uh damn near two hours and 20 minutes you're right um and uh, i have appreciated the time with you until next time y'all keep it curious keep listening bye-bye